I want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flat, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, still hearts get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined, I want to say once again, as I usually do, but for now, I'm joined once more by my co-host, uh, Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Milady. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, and of course, for those who are just tuning in who didn't hear the episode last week, Simon will be taking a hiatus from the Televerse uh, the, for the for the summer to go off into the, the great outdoors, the wild unknown. Okay, not exactly the wild. Okay, Prince George, B.C. is a town of like 40,000. It's not necessarily the great unknown but will or will you not be standing in the middle of the woods or the future woods for the summer mostly i'll be kneeling actually (laughs) so there you go i think it counts i think it counts to take a moment here the longest we've gone without podcasting for the past two years two and a half years is a is like what that week when i was in the mountains of peru (laughs) yes this is this is crazy. It's going to be a huge a huge shift. It's been a wonderful pleasure doing the Televerse with you, Simon. And uh, I know you'll have a blast out in BC. Uh, but just want to take a moment to say thank you. Well, you're welcome. I'm not even sure I'll have a blast, so I'm glad you're sure. Uh, <laughs> I received uh, some words of uh, support and confusion over on Twitter. So thank you all for that. Uh, it's going to be a weird. 13 weeks, but uh, actually almost the exact length of a cable season, so that that's a little bit weird. But um, yeah, I'm I'm I am excited and uh, a little bit terrified, but it's uh, it should be fun. And then anyway, after that happens, I uh, there's I I have to see how my how my circumstances are going to shake out for a while. So I don't really know what the future holds, but uh, I do know that uh, I'm sure Kate, you have things well in hand. There, there are plans. Things are set up to go, and listeners will have to tune in next week to see what what comes next for the Televerse. But like you said, we did get uh, several emails and tweets and stuff. Uh, we heard from Jean-Pierre, who says, I've been listening to the Televerse since it began and just wanted to let you both know, finally, how much I love the podcast you two have put out. It saddens me to hear that Simon will not be hosting for a while, and I would like to offer some words of inspiration to him. Hey, Simon, go get him and plant those trees, and you got this, man. Etc. <laughs> Winky smiley face. I don't really know how to say that over the air. It's been a pure pleasure listening to you two every week for the last couple of years, and I want you guys to know I've really appreciated it. It's from this podcast that I learned about the other Sound on Sight podcasts, such as Sword and Cinema, which is a lot of fun to hear the roundtable discussions on there when they go off the rails at times, and not to mention the incredible awesomeness that is the Walking Dead podcast. But yeah, I'm really going to miss Simon's bitter and sarcastic commentary of both television and films. I didn't always agree with this point of view, but I always appreciated his banter and perspective. I do hope he has a great time away, and I look forward to his return whenever it may be. We talked a little bit then about switched at birth, um, but uh, but yeah, I wanted to make sure to read that out. Thank you for emailing Jean Pierre. See, Carl said, "Good luck on your new venture, Simon. Sounds very exciting and rewarding. I hope that Bette Midler will come on the Televerse podcast this week to wish Simon a good hiatus. His wit and opinions will be missed." 
We got a, a no super cut from Joao. Uh, that was pretty great. So thank you for that. Um, and Mario says best wishes and be back online soon. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be tricky. Um, we also talked with you guys about things other than Simon this week. Uh, Sean said, wants to know if we're caught up with Bob's Burgers. He, he says that the Equestronauts episode was his favorite since oh, the OT. Did you get a chance to catch up with that one yet? I know you haven't had a chance to watch this week's. Uh, no, I'm a little bit behind on Bob's just because Sunday is so insane. But uh, I I mean, I as soon as I saw they were doing a Brony episode, I got really excited and was kicking myself that I missed it. Haha, <laughs> kicking myself. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, let's see. Carl, the the honeymoon is over with Carl because we, we it's apparently the first time we disagree about something TV-wise. Carl loved The Sign of Three, the second episode of the season of Sherlock, whereas, you know, anybody who's been listening for a while knows what we thought about that. Uh, so I'm glad you liked it, Carl, and uh, hopefully you'll, you're still, you know, you can, hopefully you're still sticking around. You aren't running for the hills now that we no longer have a perfect track record. Yeah, well, it, I'm okay with not having a perfect track record for agreeing with someone on Sherlock. <laughs> um, let's see. Joao says, uh, Black Box feels like House Anatomy. I can't really argue with that. <laughs> talked with several of you guys about Queer as Folk. So uh, uh, Peter and Mario and Good Enough for Me. Talked some MASH with Karen, Ken, Zandra, Sergeant Wu, Noel, Noel and uh, Swedge. Hannibal with Julius, Amanda, Carl, Alicia, and Gaines. <laughs> and uh, Josh uh, and I talked a little bit about the Good Wife show within the show. I know you have some thoughts about that that hopefully uh we'll we'll get to talk about a little later um and orphan black with caroline and tim and of course game of thrones oh game of thrones this week <laughs> uh game of thrones yeah the sound say game of thrones podcast is should already be up in your feed and of course we talk about that scene as well as the rest of the episode there um i we was very happy to discuss the scene, and I'm very glad that I had such differing opinions to discuss it with. And I think they're both crazy. But you <laughs> listeners, you can form your own opinions. Let us know what you think. It's <laughs> insane that your hosts are so pro-rape. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> that's just mean. Oh, man. Of course, that's... I I feel like I have to... I can't even let that go. I should just let that go, but I can't. Of course, they're not pro-rape, but I do think they're crazy people. <laughs> they're crazy people in their reading of that scene. So uh, that's, you know, fun little controversy there. Um, let's see. At the end of the podcast, we'll be talking with Steve Procopi from, uh, of course, Capone from Ain't It Cool News about Reget or The Kingdom, Lars von Trier's Danish horror miniseries. So, you know, yay, nightmares for me. Uh, and then also I wanted to mention once more that I will be at Ebert Fest this week. So, uh, if you're going to be down in Champaign for the festival, let me know. I'll be, I'll be around and uh, hopefully we'll be able to have some sort of a meetup for the, uh, down there, grab a beer over at, uh, I don't know. I, I, I've been meaning to go back to Distill. They do have some really tasty beers over there, but, um, we'll figure something out. So let me know if you're going to be in town. So just heads up, this is going to be a long podcast. Very long. O over two hours, I'm guessing. At least at least over two hours, maybe getting close to two and a half. There's just a lot of TV, but, you know, suck it up. Well, and I didn't want to rush through your last podcast with us for a while. It's not like we'll be able to get your thoughts on these episodes next week. That's true. And it's not like, yeah, if we... I, I, I may have to send you an email, uh, you know, send you a couple emails throughout the summer if I have if I do happen to catch anything so I can be 
uh, so I can chime in on things in case anything huge happens. But the likelihood of those things coming together seems fairly slim. <laughs> so anyways, we'll just, uh, just figured I'd preface that. Just heads up, if you're listening, you probably already know from looking at your iTunes feed, but uh, it's a long one. And uh, let's kick it off here by, by taking a break and coming back with our week in comedy. comedy we're going to talk a little bit about the community finale basic sandwich part two new girl big news bob's burgers ambergris uh the adventure time premiere wake up and escape from the citadel the archer finale arrivals departures inside amy schumer a chick who can hang silicon valley articles of incorporation and veep alicia there's a few of these that, that you haven't had a chance to see yet or our community and therefore you will never willingly see uh so i'll just get those out of the way quickly at the top here the community finale i thought was not very good frankly i, I was it was a definite disappointment and um it's been a i think in general a very strong season a very consistent season for community uh, for those who like community who are not you, Simon. But uh, hey. but this, I mean, both parts of this two-part finale were underwhelming, and I wasn't particularly laughing. It was just too, there are touches that were too on the nose, and they're just, again, if I was laughing more, it wouldn't have been as much of an issue, but they took an interesting conceit, and you know, all the subway stuff had a lot of potential to be really fun, but in general, it was just, it was too caught, it's too mired in its own finaleness. So I was not... Uh, I was not a fan of that. Uh, New Girl, big news. It handled the fallout from Jess and Nick's breakup very well. Very well, actually. So that was very heartening. So I wanted to mention that. Uh, tip of the hat to New Girl for that. Bob's Burgers Ambergris was delightful. So much fun. Uh, I, I, it's been a while since they had a straight up like hijink sort of episode. I guess the chocolate, the wine train had this somewhat, but the, the whole adventure with the ambergris with, with the kids was, was really great. And, um, and, you know, introducing fish odors brother, you know, expanding that out a little bit was, was fun. So I had a lot of fun with Bob's burgers. They're back on a roll as far as I'm concerned, but let's dive in with adventure time. This was parts two and three. Uh, part one was the finale of season five, which aired three weeks ago. I think that's correct. Okay, what did you think of parts two and three, Wake Up and Escape from the Citadel? Over the last couple seasons, uh, the the Adventure Time people have really gotten ambitious in terms of putting out multi-part episodes, especially at the beginning and end of their seasons. And this was one of my favorites, uh, this this overall three-parter, which I didn't even realize uh, that's what they were doing until we got to this week. Uh, I mean... These weren't necessarily the funniest episodes, although the party sequence in the first episode was pretty hilarious. Um, the especially the the clock the clock face joke was just brilliant. 
but just the the scope of these episodes and the uh, the imagination levels going on in in the uh, in the crystal prison sequence are just mm-hmm. like uh, I was just bl- I wanted to actually just watch certain scenes over the second they were the minute they were over because there was just there was just too much awesomeness to take in. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was really so much fun. This is. Adventure Time has long been a show. I say long, long in terms of the podcast. Maybe not nowhere near long enough. I it was off my radar for too long. But it's been a show I've been meaning to catch up with for quite a long time, and I haven't set the time aside. I, I have set the time aside now. I've uh, gotten uh, copies of, of the first several seasons on DVD, and I look for that's my project for the summer. Hopefully, before Comic Con, I will have caught up with all of, all of Adventure Time, and. Uh, I, and, and we'll be covering it on the Televerse, or at least checking in with it much more regularly moving forward this summer. This three-part episode was just fantastic. It was so much fun. It was very different than their last multi-parter, which was, of course, Lemon Hope, which was more um, experimental with its you know visual storytelling and its tone and all of that, and had uh, was much more uh, philosophical. This one was just a straight up sort of adventure fun tale and I you know I had a lot of I thought it was really great and uh I don't know how many of these characters previ- previously existed in the world like did we already know Prismo? Yes, uh Prismo has a I believe that the last time we saw him was in another previous multi-parter and he's uh his previous appearances are are incredible. Actually at the beginning of the very beginning of season five, if I'm not mistaken, which was, of course, about 60 episodes ago. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's just a fantastic character. Voiced by Kamel Nanjiani, just beautifully. Just the fact that these episodes feature Stephen Root, Ron Perlman, and Kumali Nanjiani. That's just a fantastic voice cast right there. Yeah, and the just, again, each of these different people that we're seeing at that party were interesting and creative and fun. I, I could imagine that each of these characters either had entire arcs on the show before or were completely new creations. Either way, it would work. Uh, and and the, the, the show is so diverse with its uh, with its guest characters, with its you know background kind of characters that I would have believed either of those uh, eventualities. What did you think about this revelation that Finn has a dad who's alive and an asshole and an asshole? <laughs> an is, asshole. This is the only other human in this in this world, right? There's one that one person who might be human, right? That girl, uh, the Lena Dunham character. Yeah, there there aren't very many humans. It's true. The I mean, I don't think the show is as concerned about. Uh, how many humans are milling about in the world of Ooh and its outskirts. But this notion that da- that Finn's dad is an asshole uh, totally fits in with the world of Adventure Time and, and, and in terms of developing Finn as a character. When you go back to the, to the start of Adventure Time and watch from the beginning, I think you might be quite taken aback at how the show's evolved over the years because the first season in a bit, I would say, is just it's completely just sort of madcap antics and sort of it's it's sort of more cute and straightforwardly fun and then over time it's almost like they're ex- it's almost like Pemilton Ward and company are expecting that their audience is is literally growing up with the show because there's stuff that happens in these episodes that's really dark i mean you've got a, a scene where jake uh you know expands to to uh sort of Arnold Schwarzenegger levels and says I'm going to kill the lich and the lich by the way is is the series is is essentially the big bad of the show 
as you probably gathered from that from that party scene. And every time he's appeared in past episodes and multi-parters, it's always memorable. And uh, his his appearance this week was fantastic. And what they do with him at the end of the episode is quite unexpected. But um, yeah, I I, I think that the, the idea that there's there's a bunch of humans around is not such a big deal, but the fact that Finn knows who his dad is and it's a disappointment <laughs> is, uh, is, act- is, is very much in keeping with the tone of the show. Well, and, uh, I mean, they take a character, I, I only know Prisma from this char- from this, you know, these episodes here, and he was a great character, so much fun, and he's dead, and he's not coming <laughs> yeah. back, he's dust. <laughs> yeah, that's... Again, another one of those moments that I think a few seasons back they would not have attempted because it's just, it's really quite upsetting. Well, and I also appreciate that you can tell that Jake is really concerned about Finn. There's an appreciation for how heavy the realization that Finn's father is alive and that he's at the Citadel and that this is this massive prison. And like, you could tell Jake is worried about Finn's uh, physical, but also psychological well-being without it being, you know, a, a heartfelt moment shared between the two of them. You know, there's so much thought put into their interactions and just the, the what is said and what is not said. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. On a on a sort of more practical note, I would you know, I'd been wondering where Jake was the last few episodes. And I love that the the, the very simple revelation, I've been partying at Prismos <laughs> for the last few adventures. That's just what's been happening. I, I mean, the the show is has such a hectic production schedule and is handled by so many different animators and writers that I'm just impressed when they can when they can manage to to balance little little sort of longer turn details like that. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's such a fun and creative show. And like I said, the first time I watched it, you had me watch it for the Televerse. I it makes me it, it heartens me about our future that children are watching Adventure Time. Because I think it's I think it's fantastic storytelling, and I really look forward to catching up with it this summer. Yeah, I, I mean, if I if I had a kid, I would not care about the occasional scary bits. I would just plant them in front of Adventure Time and just let it do the parenting and <laughs> go somewhere else. Probably, I would not be. I shouldn't be a parent. <laughs> what did you think about Archer and their finale arrivals, departures, and then again to to make the compl- the question more complicated? How do you how successful do you feel like this season has been, Archer Vice? I should say. I mean, as a as a weekly viewing experience, I think it was pretty disjointed, to be honest. The because uh, I just I just kept forgetting the you know I think I said this last week or the week before I really needed a previously on to be able to chart exactly what was happening how allegiances had shifted uh, and I shouldn't be distracted by these things when I'm trying to enjoy Archer which is one of the most sort of madcap and ridiculous comedy series around I think it's going to play a lot better on DVD uh, when you can watch when you can streamline it over a night or two. And just really get into the uh, the recurring gags. I think some of the some of the show's sort of crasser avenues of humor, I think, aren't evolving in a way that really uh, that that really excites me. But in general, the, um, the the sort of more erudite humor, the um, the way I have to keep a Google window open while I watch Archer, so I can look up, for instance, what a bishop score is, um, <laughs> is, uh, is is still probably my favorite thing about Archer, and. I, I do wish they didn't feel the need to shoehorn in an emotional moment at the end of every season and then never do one again until the end of the following season. It feels very odd for so much of this season to to center around 
uh, Lana's pregnancy and then hear this moment at the end with the kid and then to have n- nary a mention of Wee Baby Seamus. Yes, that's true. Uh, I mean, Wee, Wee, Wee Baby Seamus was one of the best aspects of, I think that was season three, uh, when we had uh, all that Baby Seamus action. It, and it's, it is very strange that we haven't seen Wee Baby Seamus in two seasons now. Yeah. Well, and we still see the tattoo when it comes up, but we don't have any mention of the baby. And with where they go here at the end of this episode, Archer's the father now, whether he wanted to be involved in that. You know, he didn't really have a choice in the matter. Uh, More specifically, he had zero choice in the matter. And yet he is now a father and looks like he will want to be involved to some extent in his child's life. And and then yet again, we don't have any we baby shamans. That that would be my biggest complaint about the the structuring of their arc for the season with with the pregnancy and with the baby um and then i'll counter counterbalance that with i think my favorite recurring gag and i put this out on twitter too is the the face slapping that they <laughs> that will never get old i don't think uh yeah that was one of those gags that i i, I think for me was precariously you know they're overdoing it and then they keep overdoing it until eventually it goes back around to being funny again, which they'd found the right balance with by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, any uh, as for the the season as a whole, I mean, I can't decide. I I guess having this all be a massive conspiracy and and they were you know they were working with the CIA the whole time and that way they can go back to being the show as normal at the end of the season. I guess there's a there's satisfaction in that somewhat. But it also feels like hedging their bets. And I think I like the show better when they're spies. But I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I don't think I I particularly care about that. I mean, I don't necessarily go to Archer for, for you know, integrity of storytelling, if that makes any <laughs> sense. Like, the, however they want to get back to, to... I mean, they took a whole season to just do something totally different. And however they want to get out of that, if they wanted to completely ignore it, and then just start the following season there at ISIS. Why? Because you, you screw you. It's what we're doing. Like I, I although I did love. Actually, my favorite moment of the episode was uh, after the baby's born and Archer <laughs> uh, brings up, "Oh, I've been in a coma this whole time, right? No, but I've been in a coma this whole time, right? No, no, no." <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a, just a, a great nod to, to sort of past TV storytelling. Yeah. But so, you know, they could have done it a different way. Very true. And again, I I'm this may be for me the one of the one of if not the weakest seasons of Archer episode to episode, but that is of Archer. And Archer is a show that we always really enjoy and that I've really, you know, I think the best seasons of Archer are fantastic fantastic television and the worst seasons of Archer are very good television. Yeah, pretty much. I don't th- I mean, is the show ever going to get back to its season two, three peak? I'm thinking probably not. But, um, it, you know, much like uh, Always Sunny, the other sort of flagship FX comedy, it doesn't need to get that good again for me to want to watch it. Yeah. Well, speaking about shows that are perhaps at their peak, Inside Amy Schumer, A Chick Who Can Hang, this is this is their best episode of the season so far, as far as I'm concerned. And also, uh, I mean, because it's their most consistent, how many fantastic sketches are in this episode. Uh, what, there's at least three or four. I mean, uh, what I what I find interesting about Amy Schumer this season is that it feels like every episode so far has gotten progressively better. 
and it feels like there's more momentum in each one. You know, like for instance, the in the first episode we had you know one amazing guest near the beginning, and then rapidly diminishing returns, and then the following week we got maybe maybe one or two more, and then this week almost everything was great. It did kind of finally start to peter out near the end, but uh, the I mean. This was pretty much straight up gold from beginning to end. The 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 uh, re- the returning vet sketch and the cake, the milady sketch, and of course the food room, which I think a lot of people will have already seen. Hopefully, outside of the context of the show, if you want to get a TV nerd sold on Inside Amy Schumer, just show them the food room. It is perfect. It is, it is literally a perfect send up. That is like a textbook. If you had to teach parody in comedy school you would show them the food room. <laughs> well, and that was made even more entertaining for me by the fact that the next day I went to, I was at a McDonald's and I was just looking for a little bit of food. So I was going to, I ordered a kid's meal and then realized that they don't come with fries anymore. They only come with apple slices or yogurt. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was watching it going, no, I don't want, oh God, I guess I can't get a kid's meal because a kid's meal with, uh, you know, a kid's meal with apple slices just feels wrong to me. News room, food room, preach it. Yeah, it was, oh my God, it was so wonderful. Uh, the the handling of the cake sketch, just like the the very end, just popping up and she's in fatigues. What a wonderful little twist and way to, to, to just kind of punctuate that bit. I mean, I did not see it coming and I thought that was just, the fact that they don't comment on it, they just say, because you guys have been away, you know, Oh, so th- I thought that was so great. Thank you for your service. <laughs> uh, Chicken can hang was 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 pretty great. It's just again the 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 stinger on that. Should we just all go have sex now? I mean, it's just, it's been great stuff. All all uh, just this entire episode, I think, was really a lot of fun. Everybody's been talking about the food room, but like you said, Milady, I think may have been the highlight for me. I just really enjoyed <laughs> enjoyed that and the way that it tied in with one of her uh, on the woman on the street interviews as well was just mm-hmm. really great for me. Yeah, there's a there's a greater sense of coherency. Uh she's learning how or she and her writing team rather are figuring out how to button sketches uh, that w- which was a real I think maybe the biggest problem last season was Sketches just seem to go on and on and not really know where to end, and which is which was at least not a problem this week at all, which is a really encouraging sign. Uh, another thing I like about the Milady sketch, which which I all I could think for some reason was if I was a teacher in middle or high school or something, I don't know what middle school means. It's just a word that Americans throw around. I don't know what it refers to, um, but you know, if I was teaching teenagers, I would show the Milady sketch to them just so. <laughs> Just to, to socialize a new generation of young men so that they know how not to be. But <laughs> yeah. um, but, I, w- but w- one of the things I really appreciated about the Milady sketch is the way that the that Amy Schumer's character at the end just kind of capitalizes on it anyway. He's mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, it's whatever. Like, I'll take it. <laughs> which, <Yeah. laughs> which, 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 you know, it's, she's not necessarily letting the women in the situation off the hook either, which I thought was a nice touch. Well, of course. And that's what makes it work. I, otherwise, it just turns into uh, frustrating... Uh, argument for 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 bad behavior. So what, by, by not being above the punchline either, by putting a little bit in, enough blame on on Amy's reaction to the situation as well, that that's what makes it all come together for me. And uh, no, I I just had so much fun with with Inside Amy Schumer, and it would have been just a straight up clearly 
uh, Inside Amy Schumer wins the week in comedy, except that Adventure Time was so great, and Archer was a lot of fun. And then we had some two really fun uh, HBO episodes this week as well. So what did you think of Silicon Valley, uh, and is this a step in the right direction? Silicon Valley is obviously taken great strides in its confidence and execution, uh, at least this week. I didn't see last week's episode. Uh, I'm still not sure that I care about what it's doing, uh, which, you know, I, am I ever going to be interested in this milieu, in these characters? Maybe not for the most part, but it's obviously much better at doing its job uh, very quickly, which is always a good sign. And I think anyone who dug uh, the pilot or the other early episodes, I think, must be very pleased right now. The uh, I think it's going to be really unfortunate when they eventually lose Christopher Evan Welch's character because uh, his scenes were some of the highlights of the episode. And uh, as much as there are things that I do enjoy here and there, I the if I was going to keep watching it, I would continue to watch for Martin Starr's uh, character, who I'm so pleased that they've made his Levian Satanism not just a gag, but actually a consistent part of his character because every time it comes up, it's completely hilarious to me. Is he your favorite Canadian character right now? Oh, right. I forgot he was Canadian also. Um, he might be. Yeah. Unless you count everyone on Orphan Black. That's true. That's true. They all technically should be in Toronto somewhere. Uh, yeah, th th this, was a, this was a lot of fun. And, and the thing for me with, with Silicon Valley is that I'm remembering this is episode three. So most comedies take a while to find their feet, to figure out what works and what doesn't. I absolutely agree. If if we weren't already uh, saddened enough by the loss of Christopher Evan, well, uh, of his death, then getting I mean it's great to be able to see another example of his work, of his of his ability as as an actor, as a comedic and dramatic actor. As he, it's another wonderful creation by him. The show is definitely gonna suffer with losing that character and that performance. Um, but but when I look at at this episode and I think this is an episode three of a season one. I think Silicon Valley is, is moving the right direction and is is identifying their their strengths well. And uh, I hear that there's a kick up in episode four where it's going to go up another notch, and I look forward to that. But um, no, I'm encouraged and I'm heartened by the fact that it does have a season two already. Uh, so it'll be looking in Silicon Valley are the two uh, HBO comedies that that made it to season two this year or this season, which is a bit interesting <laughs> for me. Um, shall we move on to Veep? Uh, yes, we shall, and I, I, I cannot, I have no, I've run out of positive things to say about Anna Shalemsky, because to me, between last week's episode of Hannibal and this week's episode of Veep, she is like my new queen of television. She's just so good. Uh, this was one of my favorite episodes of Veep so far, uh, mostly because it centered so much on the, on the dynamic between the staff and the, the public they're so deeply uncomfortable with. Uh, and that to me is, is a comic avenue they've even, they've barely even begun to explore. And every scene that involved, uh, Amy trying to, to deal with that and just being like, peeing is fun, uh, <laughs> uh was, uh, just mwah, beautiful. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The, this, you know, we've said it many times, but this is a fantastic ensemble and they work really well together. Each of them, uh, the characters, but also the performers and watching the very like if there's anybody who's worse with kids, is it Amy or, or is it Dan? I I think it's Amy. You think it's Amy? Because Dan just kind of throws Amy. the kid at somebody else. Amy does that, too, I suppose. But, oh, man, they're just delightfully terrible. 
with Little Halo. Uh, this episode, not only is there plenty of great stuff with Selena, but I was so glad to see Tracy Toms show up in what may be a recurring role. Of course, she was introduced to me first on Wonderfalls and then being awesome in Rent, the, the movie version of Rent. She sings the crap out of 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 Joanne. Uh, but, um, but so, so I always enjoy when she pops up on my TV and I'm encouraged that this may be a recurring role to some extent over the course of the campaign. I'm hoping that we see her again. Um, and also the actress who plays D, uh, the name, her name is escaping me, but I've, I've enjoyed her many times in the past as well. So she's, that was another familiar face. I was glad to see join potentially the recurring pool. Do you want to see this, this Alicia character again? Uh, yes, I think. I, well, and it, it adds another dimension of just uh, of of contrast in terms of just how self-involved and sort of in a bubble these these characters are. V pulls off something tricky where it makes its ensemble all totally either self-interested or only interested in in personal gain, without making us hate them, which is uh, really difficult. I think that's mostly down to 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 good casting and and you know having characters who are a, appealing to spend time with or in terms of encircling them with vultures who are even worse, like Jonah, uh, who continues to be a total delight. Well, or you just make them really funny. If I'm laughing, yeah. I'm not thinking about how terrible they are. Right. Whereas on, uh, I, I, I can't help but always think, think back to Inu, she's the thick of it. Uh, this episode, by the way, I noticed was directed by Christopher Morris, which is always a good thing. But, uh, you know, on, on that show, the, the laughs didn't necessarily come from the characters as much as their interactions and their sheer bitterness. So the, he's he's come up on a more uh, I hate to say it, but a more American format where uh, where we identify with the characters more than the situations, if that makes any sense. And as a result, we we do kind of root for these characters, even though that we we know that they they don't they literally do not stand for anything. <laughs> well, and when you have a character like Mike this week on his hands and knees begging you know, so like you can identify with that moment of having screwed up or said the wrong thing or not realize someone was listening to what you said and instantly feeling horrible and trying to, you know, that that pit in your stomach kind of a moment. So, I mean, I, I think I think there's elements here that are very relatable in a way that, you know, everybody talks about with like Seinfeld being a show about four terrible people. I didn't get the memo on that when I was watching Seinfeld as a kid. I just thought they were more honest depictions of what people are usually actually like with their friends. Maybe that says something about me, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, so like it's, it's, I think it's a similar thing where you can identify with the negative impulses of these characters. Right. As much as you don't necessarily want to associate those with the people who run your country or will be running your country. Uh, there is something relatable about that. I also, when I when we got the scene of uh, of Selena's daughter just laying her out, uh, which was another uh, fantastic scene. All I thought to myself was, man, it would have been really nice if someone could have given that given that scene to Samantha Moss during the West Wing. Uh, Elizabeth Moss, you mean? Elizabeth Moss, yes. Whoop. It would have been really nice if someone could have given that an equivalent of that scene to Elizabeth Moss during the West Wing. Yeah, Elizabeth Moss is so much fun on the West Wing, but they I I can't imagine that they realized what they had on in their hands uh, based on how little material they gave her over the years. Anyways, uh, yeah, this was this was a really fun episode. It was a great week for comedy this week, and so that makes the the inevitable question all the more challenging. Simon, what wins your week in comedy? I'm not even going to consider Adventure Time a comedy this week, even though that's where we've slotted it. If we had, because it makes it easier. <laughs> yeah, it makes it easier. Um, 
I will give it to I'll give it to Schumer. I'll give it to Schumer. Yeah, it's down to Adventure Time. I mean, I really enjoyed uh, Bob's Burgers this week and last week as well. I've really enjoyed um, several of these other episodes. But for me, it's down to Adventure Time, Inside Amy Schumer, and Veep. Um, oh God, they're so different. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give it to Inside Amy Schumer as well. I haven't given it to Schumer yet, and that that feels kind of wrong. So it was a fantastic episode. I'm hoping that next week's episode is just as consistent. And uh, yeah, I like, I like it when having to pick what wins. If we're gonna have another one of these when we get to the dramas, having a very challenging what wins your week in fill in the blank is is a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have fun in a couple weeks when Louis comes back. Oh God, I, I have to figure out which category that's in. That starts up next week. You have to figure out that's going to be in comedies or just like an amorphous its own category. Yep. <laughs> but for now, we'll take a break and uh, come back with our week in genre. In genre, we're we're keeping it simple. We're talking some Game of Thrones, B- Breaker of Chains, and Hannibal Suzakana, and then we'll w- wrap up our weekend genre with the Orphan Black premiere, Nature Under Constraint, and Vexed. Of course, there already is the Sound On Sight Hannibal podcast, which should be up in your Televerse feed or is available at Sound On Sight. And there's also the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast, which hopefully by the time you're hearing this is also already up in your Televerse feed and up at Sound On Sight. I'm going to stay mostly out of the conversation of these two because you can listen to my thoughts on those podcasts. But Simon, uh, you are not on either of these podcasts. And I must know, what did you think? Let's just let's start right off the bat. What did you think of Game of Thrones this week? Oh, Game of Thrones. So this was my experience with Game of Thrones on Sunday. I didn't get to watch it until Monday morning, uh, but I was not able to escape the fact that there was immediate, instant outrage and instant think pieces. Like, the fastest I'd ever seen think pieces go up happened for that episode of Game of Thrones. So much outrage immediately. And so I'm a contrarian at heart, and so in my mind I'm just like, there's no way... This is all warranted. There's just, there's no way. There's some people are being thick about this. I can't help it. It's how my brain works. And then I finally get to the episode this morning, and then I read Alex Graves's com, uh, the director's comments about the Cersei and Jamie scene and what they were trying to do. And what's really silly about this whole thing is that it's all just so dumb. It's just, it's just. It's really just piss poor execution. People talk about and have written about, you know, this the sexual politics of the show as well they should and that's fine. But what's really just mind-blowing to me is that that's not even a conversation that the people who make Game of Thrones want or want to have or ever meant to start. 
And they're so ill-equipped to even handle it because they've got so much plot to deal with and because it's not a nimble enough production for them to handle these sorts of complaints in any reasonable way. So the show is just kind of screwed. To be more specific, when you say it's dumb, do you mean the show? Do you mean the scene? Do you mean the reaction? What do you mean? Uh, I mean, I mean, the, the scene is ill I mean, it's the, the conception of the scene is not great, but the execution of the scene is what really sinks it. You know, maybe there's a, a version of that scene where the blocking and the music and the acting is different and the dialogue. And maybe it works. I have a, I have a hard time imagining it, but it's certainly not impossible. The conversation around it, I think, is is valid. But I do want but and, and especially because a lot of that sort of came out before Graves's comments. I want I mean now that Graves has made those comments I wonder how much of that is really relevant to the reality of the situation which is that they really just kind of screwed up really bad. The thing that got me the most frustrated about it was actually those comments from the director and I look forward to but as the as of the time we record this I have not seen a reaction or a comment from Benioff and Weiss and I look forward to when that eventually happens, unless they just try to let everything die down and without responding. But uh, the 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 fact that the director seems to think he made a very different scene than the scene I saw was what was the most frustrating to me. Because if how, how anyone could have watched and created and crafted that scene and not realized that it was blatant rape that it never what we are shown is not consensual at any point and the fact that somebody could make that and not realize it is so incredibly frustrating if you're going to make this decision if you're going to go this very different way from the books that that is fine as long as you know what you are doing and realize the weight of it and are prepared to accept what that means for the show right the fact that they're like, oh, it's, you know, this, it starts out as one thing, it becomes something else. Like, it, I, how anybody could watch that scene and not realize they're watching somebody be horrifically raped. I just, I don't understand. I mean, here's, uh, if I were to reconstruct the scene as I think it happened, I mean, this, the behind the scenes of the scene. Here's my conception of how it happened and what's going to happen now. I may be wrong. How I think it happened is Benioff and Weiss wrote it and then we're off doing something else because, you know, the, the show shoots a bunch of things simultaneously. Um, then the scene happened and then the production, you know, the post-production process happened so fast that there was no time for second thought and not enough feedback coming back the other way for them to really flatten it, straighten it out. Now that it's out and people have reacted to it, I will be very, very, very surprised if Benioff and Weiss don't just admit they screwed up. I would be that would shock me because they just seem like really intelligent people who are open to making changes when they can. I mean, just look at Dario. Yes, that's true. Well, and also, you know, it, it's the, the amount of leeway I'm willing to give a show when if if the creators just come out and say this, sorry guys, we screwed up. This is not what we are trying to go for. We realize it. This did, the scene did not come across the way we thought it was going to just give us a mulligan. I will erase the scene from my memory and just go with it. I can I can deal with that. Mistakes happen. And as, as you know, we, 
I'm the good wife. We've talked about this before plenty of times that, uh, you know, they're like, hey, so this whole Kalinda's husband thing, let's just uh, pretend that never happened. And I think everybody who watches The Good Wife is very content to, to kind of do that. Uh, if they if they don't do that, though, I I'm sorry, I can't forget that this they've made this happen. So this will now color uh, if they come out and say, hey, guys, sorry, we screwed up. This is not what we were trying to convey. We clearly this is, you know, just give us this one then I can only assume that this is what they intended because this is what they made and this is what they showed and this is this is the decision uh, that, the, that the character made in the scene, that Jamie made, and this is what happened. So it will then color every interaction, inter, interaction with those characters and everything uh, really moving forward for the entire show. So, so I actually, in a strange bit of, of, of reaction, I would love if they just said, hey, we screwed up. Well, we, we promise not to do it again. Right. Those responsible of this act, which I guess would be them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a show whose production is so massively complicated that that's the only way that I can see something like that would happen. And that's the advantage of, you know, when you're doing something this big to basically sticking to the script. So the fact that this is how they chose to diverge, because as I understand it, the, the original scene is, is uh, consensual in nature. The whole thing is just bizarre, yeah. and I will be I will be watching to see how that unfolds. The rest of the episode is fine, uh, nothing spectacular really. I I did like the scene with um, the the closing sequence with Michael Huisman as Dario. I think that now he's that character to me. He totally Han Solo's the hell out of it, uh, and makes it work for him. Uh, and which is which is also good because I thought I was totally sick of those sequences with. Uh, with Daenerys, and we got one more good one, which I wasn't expecting, so good for them. But yeah, obviously the other thing is going to dominate thinking about this episode for a very long time. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're you're probably right, and the Hanlon's Razor approach is is probably the the right one to go with, at least for now. Of course, Hanlon's Razor never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. Uh, so. That's kind of where I am with this scene right now. For further thoughts, check out the Sound on Say Game of Thrones podcast. Uh, shall we move on to Hannibal? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, like you said, you have a Hannibal podcast to talk about this with, but I'll I'll keep it short. This was actually way more my speed in terms of Hannibal. I'm much. Th this was closer to season one. Sort of let's do wacky murders every week and and you know figure out what's going on and not worry too much about the will hannibal cat and mouse thing which is kind of getting a little bit tedious and i think they they've they recognize that this week by shaking it up a bit uh always great to see jeremy davies the addition of Catherine isabel and later michael pitt is interesting and uh i mean knowing what happens to that those characters in the books i'm wondering what sort of new and more horrible twist they're going to put on that and uh, anyway and the obviously the turducken approach to murder was just fantastically novel. I'm okay with Hannibal being a show about novelty. I just don't like it when it takes itself too seriously. Any thoughts on Alana this week, or uh, any of the other, yeah, any of any other specific thoughts on the the various characters, or is it more just about the the new case of the week this for this episode for you? Mostly that. I don't really have any thoughts on Alanable. 
Um, except <laughs> that it, they, I, 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 I was impressed with the impressionistic sex scene as much as it was something that none of us ever needed to see or think about. I do feel kind of bad for Caroline Devalna because, you know, she they've made her character do the inadvertently stupidest thing possible. Uh, and we're still supposed to like her and it, that makes it very difficult, but she's doing her darndest. Yep. And again, for, for more of my thoughts, I'm glad you liked this episode because I did too. Uh, and uh, I know not everybody was as, was as big on this episode. It, it, it was the the most lukewarm, I would say, reaction I saw for this season from most people. Uh, and I liked it quite a bit. So I'm glad that, that you enjoyed this one a little bit more. But again, for more of my thoughts, check out the Check out This Is Our Design, the San Jose Hannibal podcast. Let's move on to Orphan Black, Nature Under Constraint, and Vexed. And I will be covering Orphan Black this season for Sound On Sight. My review of the premiere is up there. And I had so much fun with this episode. It's not there. I, there's issues. I have issues with it. But for the most part, I'm just so glad to be back in this world. Uh, I'm going to be a little bit harsh because, uh, you know, Orphan Black is 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 the only decent Canadian series going right now so I feel like I have to be extra harsh on it uh, because we pat ourselves on the goddamn back so much for its existence the the stuff that worked from last season still works uh, all the sort of wacky interclone interactions and seeing uh, Ra- you know Sarah as Cosima etc that stuff's all fun and obviously Felix and Allison and Al- obviously the, the, the character of Allison's drug slash arms dealer is amazing and they need to keep him around as much Ramon. as possible <laughs> Ramon great addition uh, apparently Michael Wiesman's also showing up on Orphan Black which doesn't seem fair but the uh, there are still some problems the villainry still isn't very compelling and the addition of this religious cult who we're going to be spending more time with not an addition but sort of an expanding I guess uh, doesn't inspire me with uh, inspiration or dread, really, just a little bit of boredom. The show has a has a conspiracy problem where all the villains just kind of seem amorphous and incompetent and not very compelling, and they need to find a way to fix that. And it, based on this premiere, they haven't yet, and that's going to be a problem going forward. So I guess with Orphan Black as ever, I'm enjoying most of the micro, but the macro has some significant issues. I think the what we see in this premiere for the villains is actually quite a step up. I, th- I think they're way more effective this week. I like that they tied Rachel in directly with Leaky. We didn't know that, right, last season? We didn't know specifically that they were with the same organization. I guess I'm still I I still don't find Leaky that interesting as a character is the problem. Yeah, I don't either. But I like that they seem to have a structure to their two sides. Now we'll be getting, it sounds like this season we'll be getting a more specific uh, science-religion dichotomy between the two main antagonists with our characters caught in the middle. And, you know, I I like that it's not just Leaky now. We have a, a better sense of his group and uh and bringing in i'm sorry he's still doral to me from Battlestar, uh as part of that works a lot better than tail guy as i still kind of know him from last season (laughs) Not eddie izzard yeah not eddie izzard uh the so so like what we get the the threat we get with that character is way more interesting way more successful for me than what we were getting you know the sort of vague ominousness of Paul's handler last season. I like what they're doing with Paul so far, though, you know, that that's not gonna 
there's only so much you can do with that character frankly with paul <laughs> clearly yes uh and and so they need to either just write him off or give him something else to do i don't know how they're going to keep him interesting in any way cuz it doesn't make sense either he's on the run or he's killed if he keeps helping sarah that's just that's what's going to ha- that's what would have to happen so if they if they want him to stick around they're going to have to do some work yeah well i mean I, this another problem is that orphan black has a credibility issue with in for so much of the first season, it felt like it, it had this feeling of anything can happen. Any one of these characters is theoretically expendable, expendable because there's just so many bloody Sarahs, <laughs> so many, so many clones. And I, and first of all, seeing that Helena's still alive, uh, I don't, I don't know if I like that. Um, and there's a, I just so much so so often even in this episode I felt like they're trying to create a sense of danger and I just don't buy it right now. There was maybe it was just too many just Sarah being a little bit too clever like that scene where she apparently swaps sweaters with that girl and and finds time to tell her to tell him to get to to that he's a tosser or whatever it is that she says. Like that's a little bit too cute. Yeah, I was okay with that one, but um but no, I I do uh I I do agree that it didn't all necessarily work but the part of the episode that actually was the the least cohesive for me was actually allison at her musical everything else was tied in with the the cliffhangers and where they left everything and then were i mean i don't get me wrong allison doing a musical is hilarious and so much fun and i'm very glad to see that character in that context as well as to see tatiana Maslany in that context but when we're cutting away from all of this intrigue and this high stakes and apparently very urgent storytelling to go to a musical number there there needs to be a reason that we're going to that and it's funny isn't a good enough reason uh see to me that was a good enough reason mostly because the intrigue mostly isn't that intriguing to me <laughs> fair um, enough which is which is something again it's it's it was our it was our principal issue i think last season and it it continues to be an issue here so they really i think they really need to reshuffle that deck somehow what's what's our clone ranking are we still at allison's at the top and uh what helen is uh, at the bottom i think that's fair um what about where, where are you gonna put rachel what did you think of rachel this time i don't know how i feel about rachel for some reason when when rachel's in the mix i finally start to feel we've hit we've we've maybe exceeded peak Maslani and we're going we've gone a little bit too far with the concept maybe it's just the wackiness of her accent is that just me um i'm okay with the accent uh or maybe it's just i don't know maybe it's the span of accents in one scene where it it it, it feels like okay now they're they need to not overplay the Maslani if that makes any sense we don't need two different british accents exactly in the same scene uh, or in the yeah. same frame uh, as you might have it, but um, I'm glad to see that Evelyn Evelyn Blachou's been made a regular. Uh, she's a great presence to have as sort of a contrast, and her scene with uh, Sarah was obviously great. So yeah, I mean it, it's still a very fun series, and Maslany is so fun to watch, and uh, and uh, Jordan Gavery as well. But let, let's not pretend it's not a show that has some serious problems. Said so Jordan Gavaris, and uh, yeah, his those, those chaps. So, yes. yes. So hilarious and delightful. And then, uh, I mean, I really enjoyed each of his scenes with the various Mislanis this week. And um, uh, also, I just I have to mention Donnie's black whiteies, tidy. Uh, sorry, tidy blackies. I don't know what you'd call them. 
But that was just such a hilarious little beat. You know, just a little bit of costuming that's so ridiculous and, and perfect in that moment. Uh, I had a lot of fun with those little details this week. For sure. You almost want the show to find a way to slow down a bit. Yeah. So that we can just hang out with these characters more. Definitely. Definitely. I I can't, I can't disagree with that. So what wins your week in genre? Uh, For not committing any grievous errors of judgment, I'll give it to Hannibal. (laughs) Not, not like for creating the turducken or because Jeremy Davies is awesome or, but just because it didn't screw up. All those, all those things for sure. But I, but for if there if the other reasons didn't work, then the fact that they didn't do anything uh, to actively piss me off, <laughs> like 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 you know the other two the other two shows did something to piss me off, uh, either in the either small or large, and Hannibal just made just made me smile a lot. Yeah, I'm gonna give it to Hannibal as well, though I sounds like I enjoyed Orphan Black more than you did, and. Uh... Game of Thrones this week. Anyways, uh, Hannibal wins it for me. Let's take a break and come back with our weekend drama. week in drama we have the pilot for fargo the crocodile's dilemma we have the finale for parenthood the pontiac we have the americans new car the good wife all tapped out and mad men a day's work let's start with fargo what did you think uh so for the uninitiated uh whoever you are this is a essentially it has the same setting and tone and accents and some some stylistic flourishes as the coen brothers film otherwise it's a whole nother beast it's it, just, just that on its own, I think, is an interesting concept, and it's sort of a way forward for uh, TV adaptations of pre-existing properties. So just for that alone, I think it's it's a series of note. The pilot, or I guess whatever you want to call it, first episode, it has some elements that I really, really dig and others that I'm kind of iffy on. Mostly I'm curious as to how they get another nine hours out of this. I get that we haven't met all the characters yet, but just this, I feel like they either have to, it's going to have to slow down quite a bit, or it's it's just going to have to be content with being an utterly exhausting series. The I think the the stuff that works best is, or sorry, the aspects that were most impressive to me was just, uh, honestly, the aesthetics of it. The music is fantastic. Cinematography is incredible. The uh, the 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 patient filming style is. You know, just uh, just lovely to see. It's very, for lack of a better term, cinematic. I mean, we're we're kind of getting used to this, I suppose, 
one way or another uh, on TV, but it was especially noteworthy here. I love, for, for instance, the the way they filmed the uh, the initial car crash uh, was very evocative. Uh, other things I'm not so sure about. Sadly, Martin Freeman is one of them. Not just the accent, uh, although that is a little bit distracting, and not just the physicality, as you mentioned last week, but the more you see Martin Freeman act, the more you realize he reuses the same tics a lot. And when you're when he's supposed to be playing a character that's a million, like literally <laughs> thousands of miles removed from everyone else he's played, it's a little bit distracting when he sort of resurrects his old nervous tics from other characters and repurposes them. So it's going to take me a while to try to disengage from that. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I have a lot of fun with what Billy Bob Thornton is doing. Uh, I don't really have a good sense of uh, how that character functions as a human yet, or if we're supposed to take him that way, or if or if he's supposed to be sort of a comedic version of Colm Fior in Storm of the Century, just like a force of nature who comes in like the devil and kind of chuckles and messes with people and then moves on. So I'm curious to see how they're going to handle that, or if he's actually supposed to be just an eccentric dude. But, I mean, I don't know, you've seen a little bit more of the series than I have. Yeah, I'm going to keep this, you know, spoiler-free, just focused on that pilot. But I, I do agree that Billy Bob Thornton is the highlight for, for these for especially in this premiere, but also the first four episodes. It, for me, it's very much the Billy Bob Thornton show. And uh, there are a few of the other characters, and uh, we'll get more time, and and we'll start to kind of come together, and that is the other main strength of the show, the way that uh, the Colin Hanks character and uh, not Marge, as I'm calling her for right now. Kind Allison of, Tolman. Yeah, Allison Tolman's character. The way that they come together and, and start kind of piecing things works really well. Um, Martin Freeman, I think his performance improves significantly, even by episode two, episode three. And and he those those takes that you mentioned, they do they quiet and they... He, he feels much more like this character. The things that I specifically noted about this pilot or that I appreciated was that I, I really liked that they kill Pearl in the pilot. And so it's just, it's, I was expecting them to do the whole kidnapping. You know, you're expecting that there are going to be certain elements when they introduce a character like that, 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 okay, this is going to be where they're drawing from the, the movie. This is what we're going to, you know, see. And this is going to be the element that that ties it in. And then, after you know the, all the all the things around it are going to be different but no they kill pearl so that takes away any you know question of are they going to do the kidnapping plot i appreciate that um i i also like you said i i love the the look of it the cinematography is great and the uh, just i i feel like the the balance for me of the the more heightened elements with the more naturalistic elements works really well. I know for other people, some of the, especially the accent work is too cartoonish for them. For me, it really works. Do you have any thoughts on that? I didn't really have a problem with the accent work, but the, the tonal shifts are, um, they're very clearly mimicking the, the Cohen style of black humor mixed with all this sort of almost supernatural, uh, crime drama. And that's a really, 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 really difficult tone to maintain. And sometimes they go too far in one direction or the other. Like the whole sequence with Martin Freeman and uh, and his old high school bully, it either goes... I don't know if it's because it goes on so long or because of the way the dialogue's written or the blocking, but it, it just felt... It was just too much. And 
that that sort of extends to some of the scenes with Pearl as well. Like the, the, the cruelty is just a little bit too obvious and flat. And I, I feel like the Coens would have brought a little bit more, um, a little bit more of a delicate touch to that. So it's, it's, it's hard not to draw that comparison when you're watching it because it does seem so broad. Well, and also when I'm watching this, when I start to, to make that comparison, I have to remind myself, let's not criticize somebody for not being the Coen brothers. I mean, come on. Right. Yeah. But it's, but it's so obviously what they're trying for. Okay. Like it's, they're, they're begging the comparison, not just because it's Fargo and not just because the Coens have a producer credit, but because, one of the things that ties this so clearly to the original film is that they're going for that specific, very specific tone. And uh, we'll, well, I guess we won't, but on the Televerse, we will continue to explore that over the next few weeks. And at the end of the summer, I look forward to seeing, you know, what your thoughts on the rest of the season are, Simon, if you, if you have a chance to catch up with it. But for now, let's move on to the Parenthood finale, the Pontiac. They didn't kill Zeke, and Joel and Julia aren't officially back together color me surprised wow uh well they've got plenty of time to kill zeke it parenthood's renewed yes uh, not necessarily no not not, not officially no not officially i'm assuming it's renewed because <laughs> what, are, what are they gonna cancel it uh <laughs> it's nbc come on uh i i may come to regret that later but they're just oh nbc anyway parenthood is one of the few network dramas where you really have to pay attention to who wrote the teleplay because whenever Kadem shows up, the show just hums along so nicely for the most part. I mean, even a few weeks ago when he when he came back and just sort of set his house in order. And ever since then, in these last few weeks, the show has been fine. But, you know, we had that long stretch in the middle where things just went. I mean, I mean let's 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 be honest. It kind of went to shit, uh, especially compared even to this finale. And it's amazing just how much of this episode just pretends this season didn't really happen or just doesn't acknowledge stuff that happened, uh, which I think, you know, Kadams has been around long enough to know that that was pretty much the right move. That being said, I really, 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 really personally did not like or need um, May Whitman in that pregnancy test. Oh, really God. Really didn't like that. Yeah, no, me neither. Really hated that. I horribly hated that, yes. Okay, good. I'm glad that's not just me because – when Ryan shows up and they have that scene and it's, you know, tender and sad in that perfect Kadem's way, it's such a great scene if that's not what they're doing with it because it's just, oh, he's passing through and this is the last time we see him possibly ever. This is great. But then, oh. Well, and also, I'm sorry. Did she, was she like, ding, 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 I have this womanly sense that now I'm pregnant. I mean, like, why is she taking a pregnancy test the next day? Well, and the, I don't know if, again, we're getting back to intention and execution. It makes it seem like she was just, she's kind of schemed the whole thing. Which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it makes it seem like she made a conscious decision. I'm going to bone this guy and, and try to get a kid yeah. and trap him, I guess. Well, because well, that's not her at all, so it doesn't make any sense. If I mean, like, if, if for her to be like, oh, wait a second, I just realized I had sex with Ryan, and it was very spur of the moment. We didn't use a condom. I should m make sure. Then, then you—that's like a week later. That's not yeah, and hours later. Even, even the way she buys it is just so nonchalant. Yeah, 
It's yeah. Just, I have no idea what... The, it was the only part of the episode where I'm like, I have no idea what they're going for with this. Yeah. Uh, if it, and yeah, if, they was, get, if they get a season six, that's something that they could easily have introduced in the uh in the in the fall they don't need to have that as like a hanging thing over the the hiatus you know just have her drinking a soda at the instead of very clearly she's drinking she's drinking water guys in case you weren't sure if you look it's it's water it's clear you know oh man yeah oh, God. The, it almost seemed like uh if if i were a cynical man i would say that they introduced that scene so they could be like, see, NBC, there's more drama we can string out next year. Everything's not resolved. Let's move on from that, because I think the rest of, uh, first of all, your point that this is very much uh, the, 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 let's pay no attention to that middle kind of crappy part of the season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because in uh, Todd Vendorf at the AV Club, his comment was that, this feels like just all of season five didn't really happen because all the most effective parts of this episode are either new, like the stuff we get with Hattie, or they're things that are actually holdovers from season four. For me, it's less that, and it's more all of the really effective stuff at the beginning of the season, like like the connection with Zeke and Victor and the car, and you know some of these other elements. That's what they touch back with here. You would be forgiven for for thinking that Ryan had only been gone for maybe one episode, and that we hadn't gotten this whole "I'm going to drive up to visit my dad" thing from from Amber in the middle. <laughs> also, everything we got with Natalie and with Amy. There's like pay no attention to that we're back to just like the crazy hijinks of this couple are they going to get together you know so uh yeah you know I, although per personally i can't to me natalie is still the devil like i had that bell hasn't unrung for me well and it's just she's not interesting we we know nothing about her other than she's pretty and uh and has the and has the capacity for terrible behavior well and when we meet her, she's this, this like, I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to be defined by traditional gender roles or, or, or sexual uh, rules, politics, and all of that. And then it's like, oh, no, sorry, you like somebody else? No, then please just be monogamous with me, please. I that This is all I want from life is to be your little picture of, of what a girlfriend should be, Drew. <laughs> I mean, come on. We didn't see any, like, shift. It was just, oh, there's another girl. I'm going to be the tr the stereotypical bitchy, possessive, you know, girl. Right. And just sleep with this dude to make a point. Oh, my God. Berto, though, I, I will give him, Berto is awesome. I've, I've, <laughs> I've enjoyed him all season. Uh, yeah. A little disappointed he wasn't in this episode. What were the other, we, so for me, the other annoyance in this episode was the Natalie stuff, just because I don't care about her. But I most of the rest of this, I did very much enjoy. Should we talk about Hattie a little bit? Uh, well, Hattie mostly exists in a, in a period of the show that I didn't watch, so I don't really have a lot of feelings about Hattie. I would have liked if, uh, at least if one of the two parents had figured it out Uh as opposed to just being really dumb about it. Oh, Adam like, figures it out. Adam eventually figures it out. He should have figured it out, honestly, a lot faster. <laughs> like, that whole first scene where where, where he's just straight up being an idiot, uh, I don't think we needed that. It, it They could have gotten a, a good comic scene out of that, even, because it's not as though we really expect that either of them is going to have a problem with it. So, you know, trying to ring drama, and admittedly they don't really, but tr even feigning to ring drama out of it isn't going to work. Well, I like that the, this, I think I think all of that is handled really well. I thought the scene with Adam figuring things out, because we've seen time and again, he's very good at lying to himself. 
about uh, about his family, about things he doesn't want to hear. And it's actually one of the elements of Peter Krause's performance I really enjoy. Like early in the season when Crosby was having doubts about you know having a connection with with uh, Ida, he you know he physically just like tenses because he doesn't want to hear that from Crosby Mm -hmm. and so he's really good at he's the character's very good at not hearing and seeing and understanding things he doesn't want to so for me him not picking up what's going on in that first scene worked and I thought they handled it really nicely and as for um as for Christina that I thought you know it was nice that that we didn't get the the typical or the expected you know scene that we've seen on other after school specials about acceptance and and all of this mm-hmm. she doesn't get the chance to have her moment with Christina because she's like yeah so right. so Max Max just told you yes and so so in, instead they have you know it's a more awkward thing but it's it's I think it's treated really nicely and as I said in my review I particularly appreciate that they don't put any labels on Hattie or on the relationship it's not I'm a lesbian now it's I'm involved with this girl and I really like her yeah uh, it, it, it's handled, you know, more or less the way you'd expect. The uh, it's nice to see Lauren Graham and Ray Romano finally get together. Really, though, underlines that if you ever were going to rewatch this season, you would probably have to fast forward almost all of their scenes. Well, I mean, their scenes tend to be really good, uh, so I wouldn't want to fast forward through most of them. Uh, but yeah, it's just there. I don't think the show knew why they weren't together, other than they wanted them to get together in the finale. And Other than they wanted to have her hook up with sexy doctor for a while. Or they just didn't know what they're like, okay, we got all these great story ideas for when Ryan's around. Then we're going to have Ryan leave because that can only last so long. No idea what to do with Sarah. Let's give her another love triangle. Yeah, that's if if they get another renewal, which I'm assuming they will. Uh, I hope it's for a shorter season, and I hope that Cadence doesn't stray as far from the writers' room this time. Yeah. Any other final thoughts on the house, on uh, on Crosby, and on any of the other storylines? I do find it weird that uh, what's Crosby's wife's name? Jasmine. She's Jasmine. not in this. I- I, I find it so weird that it, a it's weird that she's been gone for like three or four episodes, and then it's weird. It's even weirder that she shows up for about two seconds and, and, and like, wordlessly at the end of the episode. Uh, Joy Bryant is always good, but she's been, like, weirdly absent, which was confusing. But, you know, if they don't have anything to do with you, then it, it's good for them to take a few episodes off at a time. That's another thing that Parenthood can do more often is just take a break from people. But, yeah, that clearly not up to last season. Uh, I'll be curious to see if they, if they do get renewed, if they're going to pull another big dramatic uh thing like we got obviously last season or and then they, and then they tried to do this year with divorce and it didn't work so well so or it often didn't work so well i'll be curious to see what they do other than kill zeke that they that could do that uh yeah i guess the, my final thought will just be that i did really appreciate that they didn't get joel and julia back together in this finale i the way that they handled that i thought worked really nicely and i was very Pleasantly surprised to not just have everything tied up in a little bow. Oh, that would have been such a piss off. Yeah. Let, let's <laughs> let's move on, though, to our next show, and that's The American's New Car. What did you think of this week's episode? Oh, mwah, The Americans. It's so good. It's having such a good year. It's If, if it's not top ten this year, there's just no way. It's It's a lock now, unless they absolutely shit the bed on this last 
chunk of the season. Uh, this was one of the best episodes, I think, of the season so far. The Americans is actually a show about something. And that's, I think, what makes it so refreshing. You know, other shows have themes, I guess, but The Americans is actually interested in exploring those themes in depth. You know, you can say that, you know, for instance, Hannibal is a show about obsession and mortality, etc., etc. But I don't find it's often exploring those themes in depth in a way that actual humans could relate to. Whereas, you know, The Americans explores loyalty and... Uh, you know, political allegiance and family and love and resentment, et cetera, et cetera, uh, marriage, family, in ways that are deep and considered and work on more than one level. So that when we get every, just the, just the arc of the car, which goes back before this episode, you know, Philip's been talking this up with his son for the entire season and then to finally have him just splurge and get the car and his relationship with the car and the way that evolves over the course of the episode there's more <laughs> nuance and real human emotion going on in the scenes with Philip and his car than there are on most shows between people <laughs> and and I think it's time we saw more of an examination of that I like that also that they gave Henry a lot more to do this week and you know because they've they've let uh they've let Paige develop but they've really kept Henry kind of off to the side so I like that we we get more with him this week and uh, you know Philip and Elizabeth are not people especially Elizabeth we don't I guess we don't really know about Philip but they're not people who saw themselves as parents and they've had to grow into that role and so to see how they handle you know everything's just been sort of hunky-dory at home for them most of the time and and this season that's starting to change with Paige so to add something else in there with Henry I think you know it was interesting and worked well and when we see him looking out his window I think that was last week uh kind of enviously at the the father and son across the way to see that conflict come up here is is uh, is more interesting and uh and when you tie that in with the the parenting with this notion of Elizabeth being sort of a, a um a mother figure to the to Lucia, and then the way that goes this week, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I just I really love what they're doing this season, and I absolutely agree. I mean, look at the shows we have going right now. How is uh how how is the Americans and the Good Wife and probably Mad Men by the end of the season? How are these all not going to be in our top tens? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, to get back to Henry. Not only, I mean, first of all, I love that they're addressing this like a week or two after we started to complain about, when are we going to get some Henry? And then immediately we get some Henry. (laughs) Not only is he getting more to do, but that scene with him at the end of the episode where he just breaks down, that could have been such a flop of a a scene. Yeah. That could have just been such a, imagine Homeland trying to do that scene. (laughs) Oh come on! With with what's with Chris, his name? Chris Brody, karate with Chris star. His, with Chris and his kung fu skills, it would have just fallen so flat. And and you know you could even say the same for for Mad Men and one of the scenes with Bobby or something. You know if they tried that with Bobby, it wouldn't work. And the the, the sorry kid playing Henry uh, Kedrick Salati, I think his name is, um, does a fantastic job. It's also really really well written, which helps. And it seems like it was really well rehearsed. Uh, but just the way he breaks down and it just doesn't, you know, the the way he's just so acutely aware 
of of uh, he he's he's clearly very in touch with with his specific feelings about what happened and the way that they just sit there and watch and say nothing both be- either because they think that's the appropriate punishment or because they don't know what to do or probably both and also just and this is something that I every now and again I experience with my students fortunately it doesn't come up very much in 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 lessons but every now and again you'll you'll think everything is fine with when you, with a kid uh, especially teenagers cuz you know biological warfare is happening inside of them and then just something will trigger just this outpouring of emotion that you didn't realize was so f- close under the surface just waiting to to come out just needing a trigger for henry it's this that the fact that he's so upset that and, and he's so worried about disappointing his parents he's so you know and being a good person and being all and he's clearly so in need of more attention and love from them and so so to see to see just that that little crack in you know this little bit of a of of pressure is all it takes for for this wellspring to open up in him i mean it, it's it's it takes you aback you you have to remind yourself that these are people who are you know kids teenagers preteens they are dealing with a lot of stuff a lot of the time yeah and I- Again, it could have been so badly. Uh, it, it, it usually <laughs> is talking so a lot badly about, done. <laughs> thinking thinking a lot about failures of execution this week, and this was a success of execution uh, in every possible way for every single aspect of that sequence. The I will say as I, I will allow that the I think the stuff with Stan needs to get moving a little bit faster the uh in order to keep pace with i think the intrigue of the rest of the season i'm also wondering when we're going to get back to seeing who it is that's calling the house and i i I guess they're drawing that out for the end of the season who who i assume is also the perpetrator of the initial murder they're they're doing a really really a, a a familiar but really really excellent uh take on how to structure a season it's almost classical in it's structuring if if you can even say that a, a 13 episode season of television can have a classical structure but uh yeah the, the the stan nina oleg thing i think needs to they can put the pedal to the metal a little bit on that yeah i concur and uh again i'm i'm just straight up on team nina and i want her i've heard her just be playing everyone and watching out for herself because uh i i really enjoy that character and also that performance i think they they just i don't think they could have known what they were getting when they cast Annette Mahendra in that role. Yeah, she's definitely the show's not-so-secret weapon. I mean, I do get the sense, and other people have pointed this out, that she does kind of like Oleg, actually. Mm-hmm. if It's hard to say, but she's definitely... She's very different around him alone than she is with with Stan alone. And I don't know if that's just because it's her way of playing him differently or if it's because she is actually kind of enjoying herself a little bit. It's so hard to say, and that's the joy of that character. Yeah, and she probably doesn't even know. (laughs) Yeah, that's also true. Well, any final thoughts on the Americans, or is it time for a little good wife? Let's do that. Good wife. Oh, man. We got got the NSA back this week. We got Zach Woods back this week, and... It we got we got Lewis Canning back this week. When was the last time we had a Michael J. Fox episode, and he was the third thing that we mentioned? This was a good this was a good episode. I don't know. Uh, once again, Zach Woods and the NSA showing back up. The show giving us what we ask for, not very long after we ask for it, uh, which is always good. It kind of seems like they're gonna uh, 
you know, they'll they'll at least put the NSA aside for a little while. I think after this, probably for the rest of the season, because there's what only two or three episodes left. Yeah, that right. Yes, that sounds about right. So yeah, I think I I don't think we'll see them again uh, this season, which is fine. It was a good way to cap it off. Uh, it, I would I would have actually slotted in the Good Wife with the comedies this week because there was you know we talked about how they were gonna go, get back to this post Will and I think once again they demonstrated a really excellent sense of tonal balance with you know all we really needed was that quick sequence of Alicia looking at those crime scene photos they have no connection to Will. But that doesn't mean that she's not still traumatized and she's not still going to have these moments where she's totally pulled out of things and out of sorts. And sort of watching her collect herself this week and be more present some of the time, but not all the time. Uh, again, they're they're just pros at handling this sort of thing. Yeah, the 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 balance of of the episode, like you said, is what really works for me, because I know when we saw that trailer of you know what was coming up ahead the please don't stop watching trailer will make it better <laughs> trailer <laughs> uh that i was concerned when they're like because it felt very hijinky it felt like yay we got these other characters we like them too right not just not just will we like everybody um and, and what they do here is make sure there's so much comedy this week but it's all from characters you know who aren't traumatized and who have a reason to not be traumatized. So so Alicia is still very much in recovery. I mean no no striped hats this week, but you know, she's still recovering from 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 last week. Diane is spends mo- much of the episode actually off screen. We focus much more on Kalinda who's pissed off and they let they let the comedy come out of the fact that she's straight up pissed off. She's the straight woman in those scenes and it it really works. And so and so by giving us that distance and that space, it lets us laugh because the characters aren't laughing when they really shouldn't be. Yes, and we do have uh, Canning back. I, I did. I did find the rapidity with which he basically takes over to be a little bit strange and a little bit strained. But it's the good wife; it can get away with these things from time to time. Uh, the they call him special guest star this week, but I love the way that he comes in and he, and Michael J. Fox literally says, "I'm looking for a home," which <laughs> <laughs> they just cannot ignore the fact that this is a guy badly in need of a show. There's absolutely no reason that they shouldn't be trying to lock him down and just keep him around. Yeah. For who knows, however many episodes he wants to do or is able to do, obviously filming a sitcom is very different than filming an hour long as far as like the, the number of hours in a given day. So with this condition, I don't know you know, if he could, if he has the energy to be a, a regular on an hour long all the time. But you know what? Well, you may have noticed The Good Wife has a few other characters they can focus exactly, on. Exactly, exactly. It would be wonderful if, if he is going to be for this, you know, if Lockhart, Gardner, and uh, Canning is going to be a thing that exists next season, I would be all for having him on, on like on a board as a, at least a recurring, if not a regular uh, actor. Also, I, I'm very much heartened. I know everybody was always very excited about Matthew Good coming on. I haven't seen much of his work. I was very nervous that they were adding a new regular to the cast who would theoretically fill that sort of will role of, you know, of a certain age, tall white male basically to to spend mm-hmm. a bunch of scenes with Alicia. I was nervous that they were adding him at the same episode that they were taking out out Will, but Finn, I mean, I really love the way that they've bridged that uh that you know, they've introduced him and and what they've given 
him to do and therefore by extension Alicia to do. It's been really great and I'm looking forward to what they do next. Do you think he ends up at uh, at Alicia's firm, at Lockhart Gardner? How, how is he involved? Because they're not going to stretch out his case much longer. I really don't know. I, I, I try not to predict what the good wife is going to do because it, it the good wife has a way of, of it moves in a serpentine fashion where it'll advance on some things very quickly and it'll hit the pause button on other things for five to 12 episodes. Who knows? How about that lunch with uh, the judge? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that. That was one of the few things this season that they just totally dropped the ball on. But or at least so far, you never know. But um, I will say that, yes, Matthew Good has been fantastic. He's totally there's been there have been other people I've been excited to have on and who I who have just kind of turned out to be a little bit meh but he's been fantastic and i've loved uh also michael Cerverus, who I, I i really hope they keep him uh in that position and showing up frequently because he's he's got that great sense of mild bureaucratic smirmy menace oh he's great he's great in this episode and last week as well um also so much fun this week is michael yuri i was so disappointed to see the nsa disappear at least for now from from the show just when they added him in to that pool of uh, programmers, so much fun. I really enjoy that that actor, and he doesn't get anywhere near enough work. Uh, so, so throwing him in there was great. But let's talk. Let's talk about Zach Woods here because I love his performance in this episode. I like. I liked what they give him to do, and at least on the shows where I've seen him pop up. I mean, Zach Woods is always entertaining. He's always very good, but he tends to play the same character. And in this episode, he's giving a very different performance. His character is in a very different place than the usual Zach Woods character. Yeah, the word I would use is shook. Yeah. He is shook. It's the first time we've ever seen the Zach. He, he's not necessarily a different character. He's just in a, in, he's in deep shit for the first time in his life. He's humbled. Uh, you know, he, he's he's nervous. Yeah. He, he's, he's theoretically the same asshole from The Office and In the Loop and uh, you know, other places. But here here he's, he's actually in deep water. And it's, it is nice to see him uh, play as... And I'm sure it's nice for him, too, also to get to play some different notes and be taken quasi-seriously. Well, and he's self-aware. That Zach Wood's character usually is not a self-aware character. Right, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I thought just everything that we get with him <laughs> works really well. And uh, it's wonderful to see a slightly different performance from that actor. Uh, any other elements to this episode that you want to uh, take a look at? Or, or is that your main takeaway, just that it was a lot of fun? Uh, mostly that I mean another thing uh, that you know the good the good wife doing something well that other shows would fuck up uh, that last scene with uh, with Alicia and her estranged husband any other show it, literally any other show would have had that scene feature overt reconciliation and we did not get it nope nope uh, the last thing I'll mention Eli and his his bowing <laughs> yes that was pretty great as much as. I struggle with Eli because for long stretches he won't get much to do, and I'll think he's a good functionary character, and then he'll they'll try to give him more to do, and it just won't work. So uh, right now he's back to functionary, and I'm totally fine with it. Yeah, it's working. I'm not gonna not gonna question it. Um, that yes, I I know some people weren't as big on this episode, but I really did very much enjoy it. What did you think of episode two of the season of Mad Men? A day's work. Kieran Shipka. Ah oh, man. Sally is such a boss. <laughs> it's one of the great joys of a new season of Mad Men. Possibly the greatest is seeing how much Kieran and Shipka has grown in, in 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 every possible sense, and just she's got more swag than than anyone else on the show right now. Yeah, I, I love her. I love her um, 
attitude, I guess, in that, you know, when, when she's sitting at, at dinner or in the car, you know, the way she walks around uh, SCP when she's first there, like she owns the place. I mean, she's just she's just fun. And also just as a side note, it's been wonderful to watch Kate and Shipka grow up on my TV. She's such a talented actress, uh, but but just she's always really interesting, and it's been great to see her develop and grow as a performer. Yeah, some it's always interesting to see who grows up and gets awkward and just difficult to watch, and who gets up, who grows up and just gets more and more compelling. And she is to the delight, I'm sure, of everyone involved with the production. <laughs> the, the delight and the relief uh, gets more interesting every year, and uh, I'm sure you must have also been relieved that. Uh, her sort of forthrightness and her strength allows us to confirm that uh, the new dawn actually is kind of a new dawn. Right now. <laughs> yes, it looks like, and especially because this is the last season, I'm more likely to, to buy it. But I'm going to be questioning that until the finale. I'm not convinced <laughs> that this is, you know, I've, you know, the old fool me once, fool me twice. So you, I, it looks like that, yes, and that's wonderful. And I enjoy our scenes, especially that, that dinner scene is just wonderful. Uh, also, any any of these scenes that, because because Sally is so confident in herself, uh, uh, you know, obviously she's a, a young woman. There will be many times where she is not. But in her relationship with her father, she, you know, the way that she just says, well, I mean, you're this is you lying to me is not new. You know, it's not new to her that her father is just straight up lying to her. So why is she going to call him on it? That's not who he's raised. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's those scenes are great. I can't be the only one who's creeped out at how much uh, Pete Campbell's girlfriend looks like Betty. Oh, that's clearly intentional. I mean, I know I know it's intentional, but it, they've done a, a, a great job with it because it's always unsettling. Uh, that's Jessie Schramm, who we'll remember from Last Resort. I guess most people will know her from Once Upon a Time. Uh, still incredibly Betty-like. I, uh, For some reason, I just can't look at Pete Campbell and not think sex offender with that hair. <laughs> and bec I mean, and not just because of other things he's done. No, just, oh my goodness. I really enjoyed that exchange with the two of them where, where, where he's trying to, you know, basically control her some more. She's like, yeah, you're great and all, but I like having my job and I like who I am and, and all that. And it's, it's wonderful to see that pop up on the show to see more confident. I have a hard time understanding why anybody would want to be with Pete, but it's great that if somebody does, uh, that that uh, she's she's not gonna just kind of take his guff for you know the way that Trudy for way too long did. Yeah, for sure. Uh, how does he? The... How does he end up with these women? Because Trudy, of course, is amazing, <laughs> and then then now she, I I like her too. This new this new love interest for him. Uh, how does he do? Um, hidden depths apparently. Hidden depths or Very just hidden. being being a successful human. In, with money, I don't know. What Apparently makes you that think happens. he's a, he's not he's might be financially successful? That's, he's not well, a successful human. I, I I you know I'm talking about the way people measure success in our world. Uh, you know, with money, that's what the money's for. Anyway, the, uh, <laughs> moving on. I'm trying to think of. I mean, I I didn't dislike the episode, but I am having uh, trouble even one day later recalling specific uh, specific aspects. We. Uh, we do get Joan's promotion, which is uh, good to see. Yeah, the the uh, I I like the way that they're developing Harry Hamlin's character, Jim. It, it's great to see Joan continuing her journey. Uh, 
into the the area that she's more interested in, which right now is accounts. And I just I continue to enjoy any of her interactions with uh, with with Peggy and with the rest of the the secretaries. I like that. I I got the sense from this that she just really wishes Don were back. I like that nobody likes Lou. <laughs> yeah, Lou's terrible. Um, the uh, yeah, I think other people are gonna have trouble with it, but I actually like that this season Peggy's kind of a loser. <laughs> She's a total mess. <laughs> She's a total mess. I love that shot of her just after she scorns uh Shirley for her mistake. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and immediately knows that that's what she's done, and just has this moment of of intense private shame. Uh, that was one of my favorite scenes of the whole week. And just awkwardness, and like, ah, crap. But she, you know, she should admit to it, but she she doesn't, which is, you know, a. Yeah, I like that she gets Shirley transferred because she doesn't. She knows that she was wrong and she's being off. She's not getting Shirley transferred because Shirley did anything wrong. She's just getting Shirley transferred because she's embarrassed that she was an asshole. Right, but I think the the scene, the whole sequence is also important to demonstrate why you know people think think about Peggy and they're like, oh, is this the story of how she becomes Don Draper? And I think that this episode demonstrates why that will never be the case because she does, you know, Don would have many scenarios where he would trample over people for his mistakes and just be like, this is what happened. Deal with the schmah and keep walking. Whereas Peggy tries to do that and she just can't pull it off. A, everyone knows that she's bullshit. And then B, seconds later, she knows that it's bullshit and she can't even deal with it. She's not comfortable, you know, doing, pulling that sort of move. So, uh, I, I will see her redeeming herself soon enough, I think, uh, within a couple of episodes and sort of started to get her, her act together. Uh, but it's nice to have a section of the season where she isn't processing things well, isn't being graceful, isn't dealing with the new boss well, is having real struggles uh, before she can once again persevere. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And uh, my only negative thing to say about Peggy right now is I'm... <laughs> I'm really not a fan of her Mary Tyler Moore beanie. That could just go. That could just go away. And I blame uh, Mad Style. Uh, Tom learns this Mad Style for me noticing and being annoyed by that. Uh, looks like that's going to be a staple for her this season because it was in both the premiere and this episode. And yes, I've now spent thirty seconds talking about a hat, but uh, that's because there's every. I love everything else they're doing with Peggy. It's so much fun. So the, yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh, I continue to love Stan. He only gets he only gets like one scene an episode now, but they're always great scenes. Although in retrospect, I am still annoyed that they've kind of thrown Ginsburg under the bus. Hopefully, they'll give him more to do soon. Uh, I like that they he, he pops up here. It's kind of like a reminder. Oh yes, he's still on the show. Uh, we we haven't forgotten he exists. Uh, the way that they keep mentioning Bob Benson, they're like, okay, he's on the crazy one, so we can't show him, but he still exists in this world, and when we can bring him back, we will. I would like to think that he's going to continue to exist on the show just as a verbal threat of to something Pete. you can level at Pete. Yeah, <laughs> so much fun. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm already connecting much more with the season of Mad Men than I did last year. Is that the same for you? Well, I mean, it's early days yet, but they're certainly having. Mad Men doesn't get, doesn't get to shake up its status quo a lot, and having Dawn not at work, and sort of being playing it by coastal and be having the freedom that this is their last year and they can actually commit to things and not and re have the reasonable expectation that we that they won't have time to flip it back i think it is going to be a good look for them and you know 
letting Don or having Don be uh, honest with his yes. uh, daughter to some extent with anyone. But, you know, in this <laughs> episode with his daughter is is definitely a step in the right direction if they want Such me to be a novelty. I know it's crazy. So <laughs> what wins your week in drama then? I'm going to give it to the Americans just for continuing to kick ass and almost not missing a step at all. But man, it's, it's a really good week. It's a good week. Uh, I'm going to give it to the good wife. Cause I had so much fun with this episode. I was just, I wanted to just kind of go back and re rewind any of the scenes that had either Diane or Kalinda or preferably Diane and Kalinda. So much fun. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to just the way that they continue to use these different elements that they've introduced in the past few weeks. I'm so, Oh, Alicia's back. She's back. It's great. <laughs> she uh, so a few show notes. Our, our intro and outro music are both by Mr. Simon Howell. Uh, a final parting gift before you head off to the wilderness. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, no you problem. Can, you can find a post for this episode up at soundonsite.org where you can leave us comments and let us know what you thought about the week's TV. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can leave us a rating or review in iTunes. We have an MP3 feed with no chapters and an M4A feed that does have chapter breaks for each of the different shows. We would greatly appreciate your feedback there. You can like us on Facebook to, to follow the goings-on at uh, the Televerse and Soundonsite TV and leave us a comment of what you thought about the you know the each of the different shows as they pop up this week and then of course we're also on twitter i am at the televerse and you are at sucker howl before we go to our dvd shelf here with steve procopi uh capone of ain't cool news for another capone's horror picks the kingdom large von trier thank you so much for that gentlemen Woo! uh just a quick note to say thank you simon it's been a wonderful two years of podcasting it's gonna be a strange hiatus doing the show with uh with, with, with you not here but it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I look forward to, you know, it'll be a fun new adventure for both of us. But, uh, but you know, travel safely, plant lots of trees, uh, and thank you for these past couple of years. Hey, it's it's been a pleasure, and thankfully uh, you are so much more pleasant than me, which means that you have so many uh, excellent perspective podcasting pals that will help you uh, cover this difficult period in your life. <laughs> Uh, we will uh, leave it at that, and uh, everyone can come back next week just to to find out who the new co-host will be for the summer. But uh, with all of that out of the way, let's take a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with with Steve Procopi, Capone from Ain't Cool News, to talk about the kingdom.
We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined again one more time, for now at least, by my co-host Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are we are joined once again by Steve Procopi Capone from Ain't a Cool News for another one of his horror picks. And uh, I, I feel like the the podcasting slash TV gods are mocking me with this. <laughs> Our choice this week uh, is The Kingdom, which was a miniseries directed by Lars von Trier, uh, or, or two actual, two miniseries. We'll talk about all that. We'll get into all that. <laughs> the reason I feel like the television gods are mocking me is that it was only a few weeks ago that I was saying that Fulikuli was hard to understand and was somewhat inaccessible and strange. Uh, and now I've seen The Kingdom, and... <laughs> That I just am laughing at the notion of politically being, being, you know, having a, a barrier to entry, uh, because this is one of the, the strangest and, um, at times incredibly disturbing, at times just bizarre, uh, things I've seen thus far. So, Steve, first of all, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. And, uh, second of all, mission accomplished. I'm so glad I thought of this one because I almost I was I was concentrating mainly on English language things when we, as long as we've been doing this and mostly American and yeah this one uh, this is one of my favorites though always has been. <laughs> what made you want to talk about the kingdom or Regat? I probably pronounced wrong, but that's the original Danish title. Um, it, well, uh, actually, the reason it came to mind was because of uh, von Trier's movie which was released the new movie that he has nymphomaniac which was released in two parts and that just sort of triggered a memory that he had just two seasons worth of this show set in a, in a danish hospital uh that is just laden and dripping with supernatural things literally coming out of the walls and everywhere you look and um no but i i've just always been a a fan and a defender of von Trier's work. Um, even if I haven't liked some of the stuff he's done, I'm always glad he's out there doing it. And, and what I also remember about it is that he does these little, we can talk more about this, but he does at the end of at least the first season. Uh, I, I may, I don't remember if he does it in the second season, but the oh, first season, he, does. He, he does. He does. Okay. He does these little outros and, um, and he seems like the nicest guy in the world in those. And when you, and he's, he looks really handsome and thin and, and he's just like and sinister happy, but he's not being sinister at all. He's wearing a tuxedo and he's, yes, he's, he's smiling. He's, a, he's too nice. They don't trust it. That's why he's sinister. And I want to do the Deb, the like good and evil little signs that he does now all the time. But it, it uh, it just, it just cracks, but he's not to say he's not being like sinister, even though there's this death metal music playing in the background. Um, no, I just I just think that like it's such a contrast to what he's become now. And I, I feel like a lot of people who don't quite get why people like him so much, I could point them to some of these earlier things because he hasn't really done very many since his first few films, any any sort of supernatural uh, storylines. Uh, but but back then he was actually really good at it. And I thought he was going to go at the time. I thought he was going to go into a career in these more uh evil laden sort of stories. And he, he kind of went in a very different direction where he just like tortured psychologically and sometimes physically tortured women in every movie. But, um, but at the time he was, he was definitely into something very different and I thought kind of cool. And I mean, some other people clearly thought it was cool because Stephen King tried to remake it, you know, many years later. 
uh, unsuccessfully. Uh, so, I mean, people were paying attention. People were watching it, and it kind of got a, a really big following for a little while, but mainly just on, you know, just on DVD. Yeah, we should mention this was uh, from 1994, the, the at least the first series uh, or season. Then there's uh, Riga 2, or The Kingdom 2, which came, which was in uh, 97. So these, you know, these have, it's been a while for these. But yeah, this was my first exposure to Lars von Trier because, frankly, I've been scared off by descriptions <laughs> of Antichrist and some, and I don't have any interest in... I'm sure it's very good. I keep hearing it's very good, but I don't need to see Bjork be terrorized for a movie <laughs> in Dancer in the Dark. So I haven't gone out of my way to to tick off that box in my lexicon of uh, of, of directors that I should have you know have some exploration of. Uh, yeah, so this was this was new to me, and uh, it was certainly a surprise. What came later was not a surprise. How the series starts. Very much was. Simon, what was your relationship with the kingdom? And uh, had you already seen it? Had you, had you already heard of it? And what is your relationship with Von Trier in general? I watched the kingdom when I was in high school on a suspect DVD copy, or possibly VHS. I don't remember uh, at the incredible video difference in Halifax. What up, video difference? I hope you're still around. And uh, I, I remember watching it at least once and really digging it. It was probably the first Von Trier thing I saw. And after that, I, I, I've seen everything that he's made after The Kingdom, and I've seen very little of what he made before. In between the two series of The Kingdom, he made Breaking the Waves, which was sort of his big, um, you know, his his breakthrough, and has almost nothing in common with The Kingdom, which is uh, really... Just came out on Blu-ray, yeah. Just came out on Blu-ray, other than the, other than the religious... He's an, actually an extremely religious filmmaker, uh, and that comes across here as well in, in, in strange ways. Uh, Von Trier is a complicated guy, and not all of his movies uh, have that sort of sadistic feel that people uh, associate him with. I, w I would say for anyone who wants a, a primer, actually, on Von Trier, The Kingdom's not a bad place to start because it is actually quite funny, uh, but I would actually recommend The Five Obstructions, which is a documentary he made with a guy named Jorgen Leth, which is actually really humane and an interesting meditation on, on filmmaking. Anyway, I, I like Von Trier. I at least like all the movies of his that I've seen. He's made some kind of quasi-duds, uh, but everything that he's done is, is kind of interesting in one way or another, although not always easy to watch. On rewatch of The Kingdom, I was really surprised at those first few episodes because they're so tame. <laughs> and, you know, the strange thing about The Kingdom, really, when you, when, you, when you really break it down, is that it's both ahead of its time and strangely old-fashioned. You know, you have the ostensible protagonist who actually has a catchphrase, Dansk Yevlar, or Danish scum, which he says in one form or another in every single episode. You have Lars von Trier doing his Hitchcock slash um, uh, Rod Serling sort of outro, which is, you know, you, you can't really get more old-fashioned than that. Uh, and every episode ends with one with a cliffhanger of some kind, uh, you know, the intro explains to you the backstory of the hospital every week. So it has these very old fashioned trappings, but at the same time, it has this, especially I would say by the end of the, of the third episode, it starts to adopt this throw everything in and see what sticks approach that kind of seems to predict American Horror Story and some other series that came later. It, for some reason, I also thought of The Returned in certain spots here and there. But uh, yeah, it's. 
it's there's really no other series that occupies its weird place in history. Well, you say uh, these other these other shows that it reminded you of. We can't go any further without saying the significant, huge, obvious one that we've already done a DVD shelf on. And Simon, thank you for breaking breaking the glass on this one for me. And that's of course Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Dark Place. Yeah, it's if you could. For people who've seen both series, they're not going to understand, but trust me, it's true. There's a continuum, and it starts with Twin Peaks, and then at the other end, there's Dark Place, and straight in the middle, there's The Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, th- those first few episodes, I, it was, this was one of the most challenging things for me to watch, not because of the content, not because of the, the gore or the scares or any of the stuff that does eventually come up. It's because, it's in subtitles and and it's there's at least the version I had the copy I had did not have the greatest most convenient subtitling it was hard to tell like two different people would speak and it would be one line of, yeah, of yeah, subtitling yeah. they did that a lot yeah so it was it was hard to follow in that way but also just there's there's nothing happening at the beginning. It's just a bunch <laughs> of stupid petty shit. I'm like, is this? I mean, it feels like a desexed and deinteresting, frankly, Grey's Anatomy at first, <laughs> and then with but, with a ghost, with a ghost, and but there's like all this. And I understand. I understand that that is the point. The whole point is that these doctors are all caught up in stupid petty stuff and so they're not paying any attention to the fact that you know there's obviously some messed up stuff going on in their hospital and yet they're also not doing any medicine yeah to be clear all all, all of this (laughs) and yet when just when i'm watching it and i already have the barrier of of poor subtitling and just it's not the most beautiful thing to look at it just it was really hard to follow Frankly, I fell asleep at least three times trying to watch that first episode, and I had to go and start it over again. And uh, when you when you're watching this show, you understand it, this is not a you know punch in the face kind of opening to a show that changes by the time we get to the end of the first season and second season and all of that. But but man, this is this was this was a challenge. Yeah, it's I think the other the thing that is the strangest to me about the series, if I could isolate one thing, it's that those first, you know, let's say the first series is four and a half hours long for the first four hours and twenty nine and a half minutes. There's really nothing to suggest that it's a particularly scary show, really. (laughs) I mean, it's mostly unless, you know, translucent people scare you, uh, which if you've you know, if you're over seven, it shouldn't. It's and more of a mystery that... show than a horror show. Yeah, exactly. Until you oh, get to holy that shit. shot that that you know you get these really silly cliffhangers, and then you get this awesome cliffhanger at the end of series one, you which say has awesome. to be. It is. It is. Come on. It is awesome. It is horrifying. Steve, yeah. any thoughts? No, it's it, it's it's goopy. It's really. I loved it. Um, I. I if if there are so few actors I would accept in that position, literally, but Udo Kier is definitely the guy who belongs where he is at the end of that <laughs> first season. I, I will say, but the thing is, like, if you watch a lot of Von Trier, you do realize after a while that he he's not a big fan of bureaucracy. He's not a big fan of he's not a big fan of Sweden, um, but he. That's all here, like the the bureaucracy thing in particular. He made a, a movie 
a fairly tame film uh, not that long ago called The Boss. The Boss of It All. It's a comedy. Yeah, it's a comedy, but it's about like the office place. And it's it's probably in terms of in terms of the inner workings of a of a big organization that comes the closest to what he started in the kingdom. But he he just despises government and bureaucracy and red tape and and politics. And so he's he's it's all that's that's kind of that's all woven so deep in the in the marrow of of the kingdom. Um, it doesn't make for particularly scary uh, storytelling, but, but it's, you know, it's, it's such a, you can almost taste his hatred of some of these people. And, and especially that the one, and I don't, I don't remember any of the names, but the, the guy that kind of runs the hospital, who's just a buffoon. Um, most guard. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's just like, he, he's, he's such a clown and, and, you know, and even when he gets serious and in trouble, he's still, he's, he's a clown, but, um, no, it's. I actually, I, I mean, that first like I, I would challenge the fact that it, it it does get mildly scary in a few places, and only because you don't know exactly what's coming. And like that first reveal at the end of the first episode of the little girl in the elevator shaft, that's kind of creepy. And uh, but it, 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 you're right, it doesn't usually elevate itself beyond just being slightly yeah. creepy. Well, to, to 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 put it more explicitly, you get. 3.95 episodes of at best PG-13 scares and then it jumps right to a shot that you would not see in any American production of anything. <laughs> no, it's, it's. It, I mean, even the right before that final shot, there's a shot, I remember the first time I watched it, that shot down and, and it's, it's, it's hilarious how much of this movie takes place in the catacombs underneath the hospital, yeah, like the 30 kilometers of trails or whatever. It just it goes on forever. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and it, uh, but there's a shot at the end where someone's standing in, uh, standing in those catacombs and a, like a little train or a little something full of ghosts. It's like a trolley or something. Yeah. It's like a clown car of ghosts. But yeah. it scared the crap out of me the first time I saw it. Cause I, I'm like, okay, something is going to completely change right here. Like suddenly it's not just one little girl ghost. It's like all ghosts, like everyone that was, you know, a part of this of her time period that died, um, you know, in this horrible way that they describe. And it it, it 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 maintains a certain level of creepiness. And then, you know, that we never quite know what's going on with that that ambulance that pulls in every night. And um, and when they that one scene where they chase it is, I think, is a great sequence. And um, but no, it, it's you know, there, there are things going on here just. From the, in the von Trier world, not necessarily the horror world, that uh, that I really appreciate. But I'm I'm kind of curious what like how you responded to the second season, which to me feels like a real shift. Uh, from, from I mean, there is a three year gap, which is I mean, he he actually had started writing and getting ready the third season, and people actors. There's a lot of older actors in this thing, and a lot of them started dying or retiring. So. They had to just bail on the whole idea because there weren't enough of the actors that he wanted available anymore. So, um, which is a yeah, shame because to, to expand on that a little bit, I mean, he actually wrote as far as I understand it, the entire third season and yeah. And three actors died and I guess others retired. And apparently he sent the completed scripts to Stephen King's people for use in kingdom hospital 
but I guess they he he at least he's not credited for any of Kingdom Hospital, so I guess they didn't use it. But I I like the idea that Stephen King and or his producers are sitting on eight hours or five hours of unproduced Lars von Trier. Yeah. Well, it occurs to me we're halfway through this DVD shelf. Maybe we should try to say a little bit of what this is about because I'm guessing <laughs> a lot of people have not seen The Kingdom. Steve, you want to take that away? It's it's pretty simple. It's just it's the it's a hospital in Denmark. It's probably supposed to be one of the best, uh, although it's completely incompetently run. Uh, the, and and yet some and then you know the and yet somehow and so the, it's about the inner workings of the hospital, and then sort of surrounding that in a weird icky bubble is this. There's a ghost that is in this place, a little girl. And one of the patients who happens to be the mother of an employee there is a medium or somehow a psychic. And she senses there's a, this girl and she wants to set her free. So in the most basic way, it's about uh, circumventing the hospital red tape, uh, this, this medium, uh, and getting to a point where she can find out what happened to the little girl, which is all tied into the hospital's history. And then, um, and sort of letting her out of this limbo. Um, so it's well, you know that's that's season one. By the end of season two, <laughs> season two, it's I like mean, the apocalypse. Yeah. Somebody, the short, somebody else better yeah approach that. Yeah, one. <laughs> the, the really short synopsis of the whole series is hospital on a hellmouth. <laughs> that's right. That really sums up the whole thing. And uh, but you know you you mentioned um, some of the characters, and I th I think it's worth get getting into them because. You, know, you mentioned von Trier's hatred of bureaucracy, but I think more than anything, he hates arrogance. You know, when you first meet the Helma character, the one who says Dansk Yevlar, uh, he sort of seems like he's our protagonist. And he kind of also seems like the von Trier equivalent. But, you know, by the end of even the second or third episode, he's shown to be a total, uh, an incompetent, uh, a hypocrite. And by season two, he's just a total clown. Well, yeah. that's, that's another one of the elements that, was a barrier to entry for me. I was watching this, trying to find the protagonist and yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. And then I eventually realized that everyone with the exception of, uh, uh Mrs. Drusa, uh, is, is terrible. Is <laughs> just horrible. And the worst they're all, Judith, they've all Judith like is not killed bad. people or they're insane. Those Judith are Judith is options. okay. Mrs. Drews is... Judith is not okay. You don't no. give birth to that and be okay. <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. So so we have uh, somebody who has who, who is killed or, or seriously injured at least one patient and it spends all of his time trying to cover that up. We have uh, our other potential male lead who then is starts doing like... He's like... Isn't he like making coke in the basement or something? Pretty while, much, yeah. Yeah, well, and, and then he they, they, he was randomly not in a couple, like, I want to say, was that like a contract dispute or they, he was filming something else? He's dead for like an episode or two <laughs> in season two. I mean, like, all of these characters are either terrible uh, and just despicable or incompetent or they're Mrs. Drusa. Those are, you know, or, or, or sorry, or insane. Let's, let's put and, Judith and, in and even category. Mrs. Drusa, like, she's... There's an interesting uh, reversal with her because when you first meet her, she seems to be just sort of witless. But then she turns out to be quite cunning, although she is horrible to her son. 
horrible. <laughs> she's not a good mother. Uh, but she's definitely the only character who, from one end of the show to the other, is at least knows what she's doing. Oh, yeah, she's terrible to her son. And she doesn't get enough screen time to really be your main through line. If, based on the amount of screen time, you think you're supposed to be following the doctors. That is not the case, no, at least you're emotionally. No, yeah, absolutely not. And that's that's why, like, when we talk about the comparisons to Dark Place, that's really where that comes up, because... The characters are just so like like I already said like there they don't there is no medicine on this series there's none <laughs> uh, and you know since since uh, we've already made at least I've already made reference to Twin Peaks there's a few fun sort of uh, parallels there as well I like I I love every scene we got with the lodge the the secret group of of uh, I guess the board of governors that runs the hospital uh, which was incredibly Twin Peaksy. Uh, several key references to coffee, especially fluctuating levels of coffee. Uh, I'm sure everyone noticed. Um, definitely a callback to, to Twin Peaks. Uh, whenever, just all those strange injections of surreal humor, I think kind of keep you going when you lack an entry point. Uh, although I, uh, although I think by the time you get to series two, it's so, I think the turning point is actually in episode three when I think it's Hook says, um, today I have an operation and an exorcism. And it just says it totally matter-of-factly. Unlike on Twin Peaks, where it's, you know, you have the level of the normal and the level of the supernatural, and you kind of cross from one to the other. In this show, the supernatural is just kind of another thing that's happening, and everyone just kind of accepts it. Well, or And they just goes on it. with their life. Or they <laughs> ignore it. They choose to ignore it, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, because that's a lot of the A lot of this is willful not noticing by the doctor's parts and most of the characters parts or they just they just care way more about trying to get laid than about yes. you know bleeding walls and and the like okay so it's not sexless then that's what you're saying well in, in the second season <laughs> in the first season it, it's very different and you're right yeah. there is definitely that shift and it comes with the birth I mean, and we're going to keep that vague in case you decide to watch <laughs> yeah, we definitely need to yeah the kingdom because you're welcome. You'll never be able to scrub that off your memory. Uh, but I think another very important element we need to talk about is the comedy. Because we get in the second season just this gift, this comedic gift, and it's the slowest chase you've ever seen. <laughs> and it nearly killed me. I'm trying to remember exactly what scene you're referring to. When they're in the archives and they can't, and the one guy really wants to kill the other guy. But if they move, it'll oh, set yes. off the motion sensor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And well, they realize that the inch that they can not set off the motion sensor. <laughs> yes, right. The, there's actually quite a few gags that take that build up over the course of the whole show. Like the, there'll be a reference to something in season one, and it'll take seven or eight episodes for it to pay off. Like the whole thing with there's this stupid subplot in the first series about. This really creepy uh, doctor, uh, or uh, I guess sorry, medical student hitting on this lady who who runs the sleep lab, and it's a totally useless plot except that it allows for a gag at at the very end of that season. That's literally the only reason that plot exists, as far as I can tell. Yeah, the, when they're taking the tour of the of the whole uh, facility with the, uh, yeah. the news. Yeah, yeah, that's. I can't even remember what happens to those people in the second season. I mean, I know they're still in it, but 
They're they're both still around. They just they're they just get up to other stuff. Did we also mention there's zombies for some reason? <laughs> there's a lot of time spent in Haiti in that finale in the season one finale. The what our ostensible main character just flies to Haiti, and we're like, okay, wait, but there's but it's the finale. What are you what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you starting a completely different thing in the what? Yeah, I'm also that that confused me on a meta level because apparently Lars von Trier doesn't fly because he's terrified. So even when he's done movies set in the states, they've always been shot in Denmark. So I don't really know how they got that shot. But anyway, (laughs) um, yeah, it's it's a really strange show to try to describe. But I I was glad to revisit it because I think it gets at some of what makes von Trier so interesting. Which is, you know, people like to think of him as just a sadist or, you know, just a guy who likes to prank his audience or just this very, you know, super serious filmmaker. And I think it's very obvious watching this that he's not any one of those things, really. Yeah, it's it's completely you were talking before about how there's no character to sort of latch on to as the protagonist. But that's that's actually pretty common, at least amongst the male characters in his films, um, where there's you, you sometimes have to struggle to find somebody to identify with or, or someone choose to step into. But, uh, but I, I actually kind of like him because of that, because he's not trying to, he doesn't care about pleasing us really. I th- I feel like every film, everything that he makes is just there to please him, but he's also a self-hating filmmaker. So oh, absolutely. I'm not sure that ever happens. Uh, yeah. So I'm not sure that ever, I mean, it's a, it, it feels like his whole career is just a constant struggle with all those elements but that uh, the kingdom seems like one of those few times where he's actually having an amazing amount of fun. Like I, I just, I can't, if only because of those little things at the end where he just seems so happy. And so he seems very pleased with himself. He really does. It's smarmy almost, but it's, it's, it's like impish. It's like, he's yeah. very excited. Yeah. It actually threw me the first time he came on screen at the end of the first episode. I'm like, wow, that's really what he used to look like. He's so young and and funny and yeah, he's got a sense of humor. He doesn't pull it out very often, but it's there. Well, I love when he opens the his over credits straight to camera talk in the first episode with, yeah. So not a lot happened, <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're watching this going, oh, come on, man. Nothing happened, but it's 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 coming. There'll be more next time. We'll do better next time. We're sorry. It's like <laughs> just so delightfully self-aware so i mean I, th- I think the thing for me is that just with the quality of the video uh, and the and the dvd they th- this would be so much more accessible <laughs> I, I i hate dubs but if this were dubbed it would have been a hell of a lot easier to follow or if it had much better subtitles it would have been a hell of a lot easier to follow and because I mean, part of the reason that the later season twists are season one and season two twists are so effective is because as you know, like I said, I fell asleep watching this when I was trying to stay awake uh, several times. It lulls you into a false sense of security. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it does. It really does. And then, you know, they start adding these elements in here and there, but they keep, again, they keep, the show is 
kind of like we always say, it's show, it's teaching you how to watch it based on its priorities, how much time it's giving to these different storylines. And so by the time you get to, you know, that wonderful moment we've been talking about for about half of this DVD shelf in the finale, it just it's out of nowhere. And there's been nothing to prepare you. Like you said, Simon, there's <laughs> nothing to prepare you for what you were about to experience. I would say the whole second season, every time they cut back to the room where the baby is. Oh it's a God. new level of fucked up. Like it really, it's just like, oh, they've done, they've, they've done something horrible again. Wonderful. And nobody comments on the only. <laughs> I know it's so blah. There's so blase. It's hilarious. The only person who comments on it is the zombie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who, who, who was mean, much more, uh, he, he was way less of a dick before he died. <laughs> but so you don't really know if you're supposed to be, you know, identifying with him or not because he's, all of a sudden a dick at this point in the show, but nobody comments on it. Yeah. I, well, there's a few levels of genius to the whole Udo Kier thing. First of all, in those first three episodes, you get, if, if you get through the credits each time, it's like, and Udo Kier, there's no Udo Kier. There's you. He's probably in like 25 seconds of archival footage in those first three and a half episodes. Where's Udo Kier? Oh, there's Udo Kier. And then he's in the entire second season, only it's clearly not the voice of Udo Kier, uh, because he's obviously been dubbed over or in some way altered. In another thing that reminds you of Twin Peaks is you can connect it to the voice of the uh, the fellow in the Black Lodge. But, uh, yeah, that you're so not prepared for having that be a permanent fixture of the second series at all. And I would say, of of everything we've ever talked about on the shelf... This is one of the most essential series for watching in one or two blocks of time. You know, like it, it really it rewards sitting down with a bunch of people and just knocking it out over one or two nights and just watching your sense of exhaustion and uh, and just bewilderment take over. I feel like, a yes, an evening with some friends, knowing, having some idea of what you're getting into and a few drinks could be helpful. <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh you should be you should be warned though. There are a several for for such a sh a show that didn't last very long and has so few episodes. There's a lot of different edits of this uh available. So there there are some where I mean there were edits of this. I don't know if it ever came out on DVD where they tried to make each season a single movie. So it's yeah. severely cut. Oh, yeah, down. right. Yeah. Um, there are some versions where it's split into four parts and some where it's split into five parts. And I believe the correct one is where it's five and five, right? Isn't that how? Uh, the one I saw was four and four. Yeah, four and four. Yeah, because it was originally aired as four. Oh, you're right. You're right. It is. It is four. Okay, you're right. Because. It's just the way it's divided up on the DVD. Yeah, yeah. it's it's four longish episodes. Like they run from sixty five to actually seventy five minutes, so they're quite long. Yeah, wow. and the second season is each episode is about ten minutes longer than in the first season or miniseries. Oh, you know what? I'm wrong because the version I have of the first season, at least, is five <laughs> episodes. They're about fifty minutes each, and each one Very, has a yeah. each one has a thing at the end with him. So that's weird. I, I know, I, and and so I believe well, well, I have to look that up. But then the second season I have is just like they just present it as one long ass movie, sort of. I mean, it's many hours long. So I mean, again, came from a totally different source, but uh, 
Yeah, but and it only has his outro at the very end. So Oh, so you're missing so you're missing a, a good chunk of Von Trier time. Yeah, well that's what I mean. Like that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of weird versions. I don't I bet you my version the version of the second season you, you can't find anymore. I'm I figure that that's a good thing. Look because I think they're both out on like in America as separate seasons now. So you should be safe. Does it uh, need to be a con pickup anymore? No, not at I no, I I'm pretty sure it, it, it played somewhere like on IFC or Sundance at some point many years ago, and that's when it that sort of start got the ball rolling on on that on like just people finding it in this country in large numbers. So Yeah. Well uh, I mean it is a it's very much a cult thing. <laughs> I was surprised to see I was not surprised to see it on the list of a thousand one movies you must see before you die. <laughs> yeah. But I was surprised that when I just straight up searched it on Google, only like a few things came up. So it's one that it, it's 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 entertaining to me when you do find those shows that still, even with the internet, are somehow still genuine cult shows or cult uh, films. And I would yeah. say that this is this is just ripe for for <laughs> a uh, a larger internet fan base. And maybe they exist, and I just couldn't find them. But but no, I think yeah, I think, I th- I think it would be. I think this the the false scarcity of it is or you know the arbitrary scarcity of it is what's made it a cult item the fact that it's such a big art house filmmaker did you know a this essentially this 8 hour surreal horror movie that for a long time almost nobody saw and well with with mostly no name actors there is a a, a quick appearance by Stellan Skarsgård in the next to last episode that's kind of funny that was so um, odd yes <laughs> yeah and and that's also made me think of Nymphomaniac immediately but um and he's in a bunch of his other films as well and Reget has so little in common with most of his movies you know the jump cuts are very much uh, a, a von Trier trait that he's kept but beyond that the filmmaking doesn't really resemble what he's done since so it, it's it's a it's a time capsule of his style but i i, th- I think that if it was more widely available uh it it could uh, i mean i could see you know like a criterion blu-ray of this or something would be would i would do gangbusters and i think although i think it would confuse a lot of people first <laughs> it'd be nice to have someone put a definitive version out that's for sure yes and again fix those subtitles <laughs> yeah do definitely. we have any any other favorite moments or performers or things we want to, to, to mention here before we wrap up? I do. I, I was sort of digging the, uh, the storyline about, was it, was it hook? Is that the guy who the, the gets his liver? No, um, no, that's hook is the guy with the underground railroad. Um, well, the, the, the doctor who you need to say the guy who's, who finds like a rare, he finds like a rare liver disease in a patient that, uh, and, Potomac, yeah, the family won't uh, won't let him have the body after the guy dies. So he finds a way to sort of get it legally, but not really ethically. And uh, it just turns into a really bizarre storyline about a doctor who just becomes obsessed with, with disease and, and not just having this thing, but wanting to have the biggest one, that's ever been yeah. found. It's just, it just, it's sickening. Like, and, and as much as this movie doesn't have that much gore in it uh, until the, the birth sequence, there's a lot of surgery. There's a lot, there's some body horror going on. And the character, it's Dr. Bondo. There's, 
the brain surgery scene in the first season is just disgusting. And um, where the guy wakes up in the middle of the surgery. So, um, but that, like, I, 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 no, but that one particular, I mean, that's one of the few, one of the few parts of the story that's actually about medicine, sort of. Possibly the only one. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I, that, maybe that's why I was drawn to that character because he was the only one teaching medicine uh, <laughs> and, and performing, you know, procedures. And uh, so maybe I was like, well, here's an actual doctor, so not an administrator. The uh, the storyline I was the only storyline that I cared that I didn't get resolution to. I wanted to know what Mona was going to spell out with the blocks. <laughs> she says right, yeah. she spells out two thirds of a sentence, and you know that they, that she was going to finish spelling out the sentence in season three, but there isn't a season three. So I would I I want to know what was coming with that. Um, and we also haven't mentioned the dishwashers. So I don't know if we want to talk about them. Yeah. There's a Greek chorus made up of these two uh, dishwashers with down syndrome uh, who, and their presence also really made me think of uh, American horror story slash Ryan Murphy in general. But um, yeah, they don't really have a plot so much. They just kind of do their own thing and, and comment on the events as you would expect a Greek chorus to do. And then kind of just, you know, no one, no one really talks to them and they don't really talk to anybody else. They Yeah. They don't interact with anybody else. And they, what's interesting though, is their comments, which are both sort of talking about things that have already happened as well as sort of foreshadowing things that are going to happen are more, a better analysis of the show than what Von Trier gives us at the end of every episode. They actually, theirs actually makes sense. But if you really pay attention to what Von Trier is saying, uh, you know, in his little, pieces at the end of each episode they're really they're not about the show very often um it's more just sort of general thoughts on evil and and good and and i it's but but yeah they're the greek core is those, those two dishwashers uh they actually there's a little substance to what they're saying and then they get engaged yeah yeah yeah, and it's very sweet, uh, except for the fact that we, we, we've, we haven't really mentioned this either, but the end of the second series is one of the most brazen, let's blow up everything. So actually, very much, much, again, very much like the end of Twin Peaks, just let's throw in every possible cliffhanger, and then the show's over. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you got to have the apocalypse sometime. I, feel, I don't know if it is the apocalypse. It feels like it's, I mean, we meet the devil, so why I not? think it's death. We we also meet death, but I mean over the course of the series we oh, spend yeah, some yeah, quality right. time with the devil. You know, that's true. So, yeah, it's it's a crazy show, and this you know despite my hesitations, despite uh, all of these things we've said, I did wind up having. I'm glad I I saw it. I'm I'm glad that <laughs> it's just something that we can try to piece together uh, on the podcast and talk about. It's 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 an it's a true oddity that uh, you know it's, it's something that we've. I think Simon and I both, and let me know if I'm not speaking for you here, Simon, but we really appreciate something I've never seen anything quite like this show. And when, uh, when, when so much of TV is something that we've all seen a million times, it just, the more you see of the, the same thing over and over again, the more you appreciate just a patched crazy <laughs> kind of show like this. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, if, as sort of a closing remark, the nice thing about the kingdom is that yes, it's batshit crazy. Yeah, it veers wildly from kind of boring to completely, almost incoherently entertaining. But you always feel like it has a point of view, 
uh, which I, th- I guess we sort of hinted at earlier, but it, it never feels like it's total anarchy. It always feels like it's got a voice, and I think that's sort of important. Steve, any final thoughts here? You, do you want to mention the theme song? The theme song, yeah, I would eventually like to find someone. Maybe they could send me a MP3 of the theme songs I can make in my ringtone because I really it's, just a, it's the catchiest theme song of of maybe any television show from Denmark that I've seen. <laughs> it is really catchy. <laughs> it's so 90s. Yeah. It's like almost painfully 90s <laughs> down to like the t- kind of text for the names and everything. It's, mm. it, so that was actually really fun for me as well. It really catches you off guard that first time. Yeah, because it's so totally disparate from everything else. But the whole opening credit sequence is, it just looks ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't know what way to put it. To, to make it look like an action show. It feels uh, like a like is this ER? Well, and also the intro plus credits is like three minutes long. Yeah. Oh yeah, with the the whole thing about yeah, with the whole backstory, sure. Yeah, which is so unnecessary. <laughs> Especially the third episode you're watching in a row. Yes. <laughs> certainly, certainly. I get it. It's on a bog. <laughs> <laughs> well, bogs are supernatural, Simon. We've learned this now. We have. Okay. Well, I think uh, that that wraps up our most of our thoughts on on the kingdom. Man, do we want to? It's just it's been a while. Let's check in here. Do we want to rank the the Steve Procopi horror picks? So we've had uh, we've had Duel, Salem's Lot, and uh, Storm of the Century, It, Carrie, uh, Trilogy of Terror. Was there another one? I feel like there was one more, or is that it? I think that's uh, it. In the, in the kingdom. In I would personally go Duel's probably still my favorite because it's such a such a classic. And then I would go uh, The Kingdom Second, and then Storm of the Century and It, and then probably the rest. How do you have Salem's Lot so low? It's so terrifying. I, yeah, yeah, I know you think so. Salem's Lot is still <laughs> still number one for me. That's Steve my number one. Yeah. Floaty vampire children. Thanks for that, Steve. <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, I'll go the 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 doll portion of Trilogy <laughs> of Terror if I'm allowed to, because the rest of that, as we discussed, is <laughs> more interesting uh, in a different way. Uh, then then I'll go um, then I'll go uh, the King Storm of the Century, then it, then uh, the Kingdom, then Duel. I know I know Simon. That's Ooh. He- <laughs> yeah, whatever. Then the the rest of Trilogy of Terror and then Carrie Last. <laughs> yeah, that was not good. <laughs> we like the central performance, but it had its issues. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, what about you? Uh, I would put, definitely put Salem's Lot first. It's just one. Of, and I actually saw that they're re-releasing it on DVD like next week or something. So nice. or maybe even this coming week. I, I forget which, but like the, I don't know if it's going to look any better, any less like it was scratchy film, but... Uh, I don't think it's been available for a while, so it's coming back out. Um, so Salem's Lot, I think the Kingdom's got to be number two, Duel's number three, Storm of the Centuries four, Trilogy of Terror five, It, and then Carrie. Although I give the performance in Carrie higher than the rest of the movie. The movie's terrible, but... Yeah, it really is. But Bettis is good. So anyway, yeah. Brian yes. Fuller, you guys. <laughs> Hey, they, we had a we had a reteam this week on uh, Hannibal with Catherine Is- uh, Isabel back on uh, another Ryan Fuller show, far more successfully than. What, than what in did Carrie. she do in Carrie? She was she was one of the teens. I believe you. 
She, I'm pretty sure she got killed at the end, like they all do in Carrie. But anyways, we are we are rambling here. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for coming back on yeah, the course. DVD shelf to continue my terrorization uh, slash education in TV horror. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Anacool.com. Uh, Again, thank you so much, Steve, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm, I'm sure, Steve, you have already – do you have plans for the next one? I, well, the ones I mentioned to you before, I actually found located uh, two that I think are on the same disc. Um, Goodness so, gracious. So I should yeah. be afraid. Um, yeah, I've never seen them, but I've heard they're very good. So so there's more uh, fun coming down the line. There's some guys. weird actors in it that you will know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's all I can say. That's all I'm going to say that. I don't want. Yeah, I, I, I think I sent you the titles, though, but uh, I don't remember exactly where I heard about it, but I heard about it from some. Somewhere reliable, so it'll be new. It, well, this will not be one of the ones that I grew up with. It'll be something new for everybody. I'm guessing. First time at the yeah. at the horror picks. Well, again, thank you, Steve, so much for coming yep. on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.